A self-proclaimed preacher marries a gullible widow whose children are reluctant to tell him where their real daddy hid the $10,000 he'd stolen in a robbery. Graced by images of eerie beauty and a sneaky sense of humor, this ethereal, expressionistic, American classic is cinema's most eccentric rendering of the battle between good and evil. Welcome, everybody, to episode 71 of Schlockernaut, where we travel to the edge of the cinematic universe to watch and discuss all kinds of films, even those with diabolical shits who prey on widows and their offspring for a couple of bucks. I'm Doc. Did I say offspring? I think I said offspring. <laughs> Same thing. What are you, Popeye? And their <laughs> offspring. I'm losing my patience. <laughs> I'm Doc. I'm here with my choir boy, Steve. And now, on to the show. What's up, man? So I had, that was my dad taking it back old school, recording a promo. Excellent promos. work, man. I saw, I saw uh, you said you had uh, put in as many words with the letter S as possible so we could get that slippery slope of the... Steven? The whistle hammering down? A sneaky, sneaky sense of humor. <laughs> hey, that, you that's... said, does your dad like that movie? Yeah. It's... Uh, we're, just so everybody knows, we're talking about 1955's The Night of the Hunter, not Night of the Hunter, The Night of the Hunter. Directed by Charles Lawton. Yeah, my dad, uh, it's one of his, now my dad's all-time favorites is Predator and The Rock. I'll throw that out there now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, he really likes this I movie. I said. Yeah, he, he likes this movie a lot, and uh, he, he tried to remind me a couple times. He's like, hey, man, when you watch this movie, understand that by today's standards, this is a tame movie, but in 1955, this was a big deal. Like, this would knock your socks off. Um, he says the same thing about Psycho, too. He's like, man, you watch Psycho when it came out in the theater. It's a whole different experience. And um, I can definitely see that. This movie, uh, it's, man, 1955, it's dark. It's a pretty dark movie. Yeah, it sure is. It's dealing with a lot of uh, mature subject matter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my parents used to say the same thing all the time. We'd watch Night of the Living Dead, and they were like, well, remember in 1964, or whenever, you know, Night of the Living Dead came out, this movie was, you know, nobody had seen anything like this. So I've caught myself telling my son that a couple of times when you're watching certain movies from the 80s and 90s. Like, remember back then, we had never seen anything like this. Like, CGI in a movie? Unheard of. Even stunts. Uh, he's so used to everything being done. Uh, I'd have to tell him sometimes, like, no, no, that guy really jumped off a building. Or he really was in that car. That was an actual stuntman driving that car. Because uh, I, I think they're so used to everything being pretty much uh, special affected at this point. Wire work and CGIs and yeah. stuff. But, like, I just saw a video the other day of, like, some sword and sorcerer movie where a guy jumped off a cliff and they actually used his death scene for the movie because wow. the jump looked so good. <laughs> I think it was like Excalibur or something. Like, if you see movies like Stunt Rock, like, oh my God. Like, every stuntman in this movie should be dead, but now it's like also safe, which rightfully so, it should be. You shouldn't go to work expecting to die. I think Ben-Hur, didn't one of the guys in the chariot race and Ben-Hur died as well when he fell off the chariot, got ran over? Probably. Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy. I mean, I can't see that not happening. Yeah, it's crazy. Fake sponsor? Uh, Yeah, let's do that. Go for it. All right, this episode of Schlock or Not is brought to you by Ghost Tattoo, because I'm sure Aaron has done at least 100 love-hate tattoo nut jobs in his career. <laughs> nice. Nice shout I wonder out. if this was like a common theme back in the day, like the love and hate, because I mean, dude, it was very common for like biker gangs and shit like that back in the day when tattoos were a little bit more taboo. 
I got it once in henna on my knuckles. Oh, all right. <laughs> Someone was messing around with henna. They're like, let me put something on you. I was like, all right. And I just, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Well, we should have fun with our quiz op later because I okay. had some ideas of my own. All right, good. Uh, let's see. My fake sponsor is brought to you by The Tale of Bluebeard. Did you catch that in the movie at all? Of course. In the uh, courtroom scene? Yes. yes. I see immediately started calling him a Bluebeard. Right. Bluebeard I had to look that up. For, yeah, Bluebeard was known for killing his wives, correct? Yeah, it's a French folktale. It's the story of a wealthy man who's in the habit of murdering his wives. But I, I didn't know the reference, so I figured I'd look it up for someone that hadn't heard it before. Dude, I thought it was awesome, the, the callback. There's a lot of intricacies, and this is one of those movies, like this is, I think, the second or third time I've seen it, and I caught so many more things the second time. Uh, obviously, thanks to the show, because I'm paying far more attention for our listeners, but... Yeah, yeah, I watched it a few times too. I really enjoyed it, and I caught some stuff. I'll uh, I'd be happy to bring up later. Uh, let me get a right, spoiler warning in, and we'll get to it. Hello, neighbor. Doc and Steve are about to discuss all the wonderful details of this film. Doesn't that sound great? But if you don't want your movie experience to be spoiled because you haven't seen the movie. Well, I suggest you stop listening now and go watch the film. Don't worry, we'll be right here waiting for you when you get back. See you then, neighbor. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? I think out of all the movies that we do spoiler alerts for, I think this one, uh, it's a very basic plot, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think they give you pretty much the whole plot in the my dad in the beginning gave you the whole movie. There's right. There's but not a lot. To I it. highly highly so just so everybody knows, schlock or not, uh we know it's not. Um but I think everybody should at least see this film one time and they should see it before they listen to this podcast. Yeah, Lynn Lynn wasn't too interested in watching it I offered, uh but I did notice in the background I was watching it and she did ask me a lot of questions and um it it seemed like she was genuinely interested in it. She didn't sit and watch it, but it's got something in there. Uh, for everybody, a little music, the lighting is excellent. Um, the the way that, that he interacts with the kids is really cool. Yeah. Um, this is a black and white movie. I think at this time, I don't know if they had color or not, but I think Lawton specifically chose to film it in black and white uh, so he could manip- manipulate the light a lot better in a black and white setting. Plus, it gives it a little bit more of a a noir feeling you know what i mean i thought the lighting was excellent i, I thought it was more, kind of a dream state or almost like a um a stage play uh it, it added a lot to the film and uh, the the way that he would hide people's eyes sometimes or enhance people's eyes in the background it made for a really nice set i thought it was really cool it's ethereal Ethereal. ethereal there we go ethereal 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 right yeah it has that feeling this is an ngm movie when i i believe in a time where studio films meant something it was a spectacle right now studios buy up films for distribution from all over the place just to have product to shove out there but this was back in a time where you know if you were making a movie you were going to invest time get the you know hire actors from the stable because this is probably back when they had contractual obligations actors with studios and whatnot Uh, because if you notice a lot of the actors in this movie have been in a lot of other things like Alfred Hitchcock presents and craft theater and stuff like that. So it's like Hollywood was an industry. It wasn't, you know, people coming in from the outside trying to get in. They already had their inside people making tons of movies and churning them out. Um, they probably had their hired writers, I would assume to just churn out 
scripts and whatnot, but it seemed to mean a little different something for studio releases back then. Yeah, that's that's good insight, man. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, kind of has those old school title cards because it's an old school movie, right? Yeah. But that score by um, Walter Schumann to open up the, the movie is terrific. Yeah, I did take a cut from the uh, from the beginning credits. If you'd like that, it's uh, it's similar to what you heard in the beginning, but it's the original version, and I think it's worth a play. So here you go. I noticed with this movie, it had a lot of that, right? You had the foreboding tone whenever uh, Preacher Harry was on set. But then when it was with the kids, it kind of lightened it up a little bit. This movie has a, a a strong message towards the preservation of our children in this country, I would think, right? Towards the preservation and sometimes abuse, yes. Well, I mean, the, the overall theme is don't do it, right? It's a precautionary tale, kind of like a um, Grimm's fairy tale, I think. Yeah, they did a good job even on, uh, and I'll bring it up later, some of the scenes with um, with Willa that are scary scenes, but they would put the children's music behind the scary part. And I think that made for a real, uh, another like dreamlike state uh, with the light, between the lighting and the music, I think it hit, hit really hard. Like juxtaposes between the two, but meshes yeah. them together where you're like, wow. Um, Walter Schumann, I don't know if you're familiar with any of his other scores, but one in particular I may be able to do in like three or four notes and you would know it immediately. Really? What is it? Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, no way. He did that dragnet? He did dragnet, awesome. dude. That's cool. Yeah. And so in my notes, I kind of put like, it was very dreamy, surreal, and floaty, and it runs underneath the credits. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It gives you a feel. It's a theme. Like, nobody does that stuff anymore, it seems like. Yeah, it also kind of, re- and it's really good, it also kind of reminded me of how far we've come with making credits fun or enjoyable because the music being good, the credits still being boring. You know, now credits, you right. can have some fun with it, some cartoons. Well, back some then they fun. had an attention span. We don't do that anymore. Right. So they got to jazz it up a little bit. Right, you know and I, I noticed myself floating away a little bit watching the credits. Like, man, we're going to watch like three minutes of credits on this, aren't we? And yeah, you're, you're pretty <sighs> much stuck watching it. But the music, the music did make up for it a bit, I thought. But is it's better to put the credits at the beginning because it forces people to acknowledge the people who have, you know, slaved away to make this film for you. Whereas now the credits run and everybody just walks out of the theater unless it's a Marvel movie. And, and that's, that's why I think you need to make credits engaging. Like uh, I like when they put pictures of like uh, the, of the actor's families or the crew. Um, there's ways Babies to make credits. Born during yep. the production yes. or like bloopers, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah. And it is an important part of the movie. I understand why they're there, but I just think for the audience, if you really want to keep people, make them fun. P- movies have done it. So I don't think back then they were doing it, but now, you know, you'll, you'll catch some. No, they just had a snappy tune and a great orchestral arrangement did, to yeah. uh, accompany. Yeah, so I thought the uh, the music perfectly matched the floating heads in the heavens. Uh, I, I think was that Miss Cooper because I don't remember. I know there was like a I called it Mimo, uh, warning them her heads floating in the sky, warning them of false prophets in sheep's clothing, which I, is kind of you know telling you what's to come. I think in the story. I think she did do the voiceover for that. Uh, I think her name is Lillian Gish, uh, Rachel Cooper yes. in the movie. I think she was in the beginning. Because she also caps it at the end. I think that's the the come around at the end. 
So this one starts off pretty quick. You get some kids playing hide and seek where they stumble upon a, uh, a woman's corpse in the basement. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I thought there were some impressive aerial shots for 1955. They do a lot of, um, you know, to set up the the locale with the big farms and everything, but there there's some pretty nice aerial shots in the beginning. Yeah, oh yeah. And just so everybody knows, this movie is set in like the 1930s Depression in the South. So, you know, these kids are dirt poor, man. They got yeah. nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Um, but I thought the framing in those jagged toes, man, those feet were, I know you're a feet guy, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like pumps and high heels, so. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've got photos of you in those see-through yeah. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my Tupac's. Your, your talons like button up against the uh, plastic, clear plastic. Uh, don't knock um, my Machiavellis, dude. Those are those are collector's items at this point. <laughs> Do you think those kids aged like ten years gazing upon that female body? Uh, it is some stand by me action. Oh yeah, for sure. You want to go see a body? Nope, no, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I I abstain. Um, and then he talks about the Lord shall provide, and we're I'm sure we're talking about money at this point because he's a greedy dude. Um, and you get the preacher who's back projected traveling. Um, you know, he's driving down the street and you have the back projecting projection while he's yeah, driving his car. So, cool. so they're basically like two guys are in the back rocking the, the bumpers. So he bumps around on the dirt road and he's jerking the wheel around like uh Barney Fife in, in, uh, it was in, uh, uh, leave it or no, uh, Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Yeah. He's not even holding it by the wheel. He's holding the, the, the steering wheel by like the spokes in the middle and he's just jerking it left and right like crazy while he's waxing on. But you know what? His speech is kind of reminded me of like what they were going for in oh brother where art thou um his speeches were great like they were eloquent he was using all kinds of flowery language and adjectives and i thought i thought it was awesome i loved listening to him this whole movie it was just like that guy in that documentary from uh, star crash he was the fake preacher or whatever oh, yeah, you know yeah. learned it yeah, same Marjo. thing dude <laughs> he did it you know of course his voice is a lot more baritone and he's um a lot more thoughtful in his words he doesn't just spout stuff you know he's straight and to the point but yeah, like he's proselytizing this entire movie, man. Everywhere he goes, any chance he gets. So yeah. it kind of makes you wonder, like, has he adopted that that role of the religious guy a lot more uh, since he realizes that it creates that inherent trust with people? Yeah, th- to me, it's terrifying when people explain away their bad actions by with religion of like, well, you know, it, it's going to be okay because God has ordained it or because that's the terrifying mindset of someone that's willing to do whatever because they believe truly believe that they're doing god's will or the will of some higher power and that that's a scary type of uh psychosis to me yeah oh yeah when when you're not answering for yourself you're answering for a higher power which gives you the authority to do whatever you want yeah it gives you it gives you an excuse to actually do whatever you want and that that's uh you get this preacher coming into town he's got love hate tattooed on his hands what are you thinking geister hard a snake oil salesman is what i'm thinking yep yeah um and then Preacher Harry hits up a burlesque show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I think he's kind of uh, hating his new... I mean, imagine you're, you're you know, the DJ at a strip at, at um, Peppermint Rhino or whatever that place is called, yeah. right? All of a sudden, this guy comes in wearing a uh, smock. He's a religious fella. Are you going to think, like, especially in Vegas, Halloween costume, bachelor party, yeah. um, something like that? Lost his fantasy football league, had to do it on a dare. Yeah. I mean, you're not thinking like this is a guy coming in here to save these girls' souls. Well, sure. it, it, you should know that by looking at Mitchum because this dude is like frowning and scowling and, and his hands are his knuckled up and his hands are shaking while he's watching this. And in the background, you're getting a voiceover of him complaining about the – he's basically the first He-Man woman hater uh, 
he doesn't like lacy things and things with curly hair and things that smell good. So basically, he's telling you he hates women. Um, and the the whole time he's watching that show, the face he's making, all I could see in my here in my brain was your grandma going. Filth. Filth. <laughs> Filth. <laughs> I, have a, I have a call back to my granny later on in the episode. Just you know, so, Good. Yeah. Filth. Filth. Uh, it's like, like, you could fix this really quick by just like leaving and going or, to your nearest. Not going. <laughs> go to your homeless shelter, you know, go somewhere. Uh, you don't have yeah. to go to this burlesque show. But uh, but then it, come to find out he's just a common car thief, man. The car in the parking lot was stolen. They arrested him. Yep. Yep. And then it cuts from that, like, imagine how seedy and grimy that was, showing the inside of one of those establishments back in 1955, right? And then it cuts to, you know, majestic scenes of a boy and girl playing in a field, frolicking, and um, then their dad comes home and all seems well. Daddy's home. Yay, he's here. But he's also injured, which is kind of odd. Yeah. <laughs> he's been hurt. And uh, sirens are closing in on them, and uh, dad's got a buttload of cash, <laughs> Yeah, he's got a he's got a well, you should have been tipped off that something was wrong because their dad was carrying a gun when he rolled up too. So yeah. He's he's there on a farm. So he could have been like, I just had to put down Betsy. True, true. She um, broke her leg. True. You know? That doesn't Hey, I've been out bird hunting with a pistol all day to test my skills. I, I don't think it excuses him muzzling his kid's face the whole time he's talking to him, but I guess. Was his fingers straightened off the trigger? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sure it wasn't. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, he did. He did have that pistol, and he he had been shot. Apparently, the kids noticed that he's hurt, um, and, and he's running from the law. And apparently, he has about ten thousand dollars cash. Which is that the same amount that um, uh, what was his name, Je- Je- Janet Lee had in uh, Psycho? Oh, I don't that remember. She stole that. from her employer. I can't remember that. Anyway, it'd be what like one hundred and ten thousand dollars today. One hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. Six. I'm sorry. One hundred and fourteen thousand sixty-three dollars and eighty-one cents is what I got out. You know of what's that. funny? You know what's funny is I knew you would have those numbers. That's why. Did I you really? <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew <laughs> you would have it. Yeah. So, um, little Johnny Harper, their uh, dad has two kids, little Johnny and Pearl. Pearl's the younger of the two. Uh, little Johnny swears to his dad he won't never tell nobody about that money. And he'll always protect Pearl, which is very important because uh, Johnny takes his promises very seriously. Did you uh, did you notice too when he's giving him the money and telling him to hide it? He tells him it's like I'm giving this money to you, kid, and you gotta keep the secret because your mom ain't got no common sense. She can never know about this. That dame don't know nothing. <laughs> Another He-Man woman hater coming on the scene. This is definitely a uh, pr- product of 1955 for sure. Oh yeah. But saying that, I want to. We'll talk about something else later too, where it um, it subverts your expectations of 1955 film because I think Charles Lawton is saying something about you know women abuse and people exploiting women and stuff, but he also has a message of his own that kind of permeates throughout. We'll he also brings he too. does finally bring in a strong female character also. So yeah, I think I several, think that was done on, several, pur- on purpose. You know, yeah, yeah, several strong female characters in this movie, right? Which people, you know. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. Okay. Anyway, um, dad gets cuffed up. He's arrested and taken to jail or prison. I don't know which, but there was some online arguments about that. Um, but dad was played. Do you know who Ben Harper was played by? Uh, ben Harper was uh, the guy from Airplane, I think, was it? Yeah, Peter Graves. Peter Graves. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very young, almost unrecognizable to me, Peter Graves. My father-in-law knew who it was immediately, but he's been on Airplane, Mission Impossible, Golden Girls, and a Leisure Suit Larry video game. Oh, some of my favorites. It's great. 
Uh, I remember trying to get a hold of those games back in the day, and it never showed anything. No, yeah, that was the whole thing. You'd work so hard to see something and never get it. Right. It's like life. Oh, look, I went to the convenience store and bought a condom. How hilarious. Yeah. Uh, he also, uh, Mr. Harper, Ben Harper, uh, gets sentenced to hang for a robbery. Yeah. Well, no, no, he killed he killed two uh, bankers. Killed two bankers, that's yeah. right. But yeah. uh, he got sentenced to death by hanging. Yeah. And whereas today it would take 30 years to do hang somebody, he, uh, he's he gone pretty quick. Yeah, they, uh, it's Pastor weird to me. They, he's only in there for 30 days. I was going to say, they, they put a guy that's in there for for on death row with a dude that's in there for 30 days for robbing a car. It was a little odd. I love that punch, that, that was the argument online is people were saying like, Harry would have never been in the same prison cell as Ben because Ben was in for a capital offense, murder, robbery, and Harry was in for a misdemeanor. But in reality, stealing a car is a felony. Well, dude, 1955, small town, I mean, come on, man. Maybe it's just all, they all get filtered through the same thing at some point. Who knows? That's probably back then when they didn't have, like, you know, facilities for misdemeanors and facilities yeah. for felonies and gross misdemeanors and facilities for federal, you know, violations and all these different types of women's prisons, yeah. uh, homes for the mentally insane. Like you have a place for any type of deviant, I guess. If I've learned so. anything from Hazard County's jail, uh, anybody gets put in those cells, whether you're a drunk, an FBI, a corrupt FBI agent, or you've just robbed the boar's nest, they all go to the same cell. I'm guessing it's the <laughs> same here. Just throw them all in together. So, I guess the way Pastor Harry finds out about this alleged stash is because Ben is having terrible nightmares about the money. So he keeps saying, like, the money, the money. I can't, hold on to the money. Follow but, the kids. Uh, Follow the kids. <laughs> ben was robbing the people, I guess, for all the right reasons. I use right in parentheses because his children were starving. Uh, his kids were sleeping in cars, and he had to figure out some way for them to help. Yeah. So that was the only way. So we've heard those stories a lot, the Robin Hood stories where um, society's so tough. I mean, think about the Great Depression, man. Like my grandparents grew up during that. People were dirt poor and had nothing. Right. So, like, I guess extreme situations require extreme solutions. Well, he may have been a murderer, but he seemed like a pretty good dad. That's the way I'm looking at it. Uh, he does have a pretty good speech. About he's tired of seeing, like you said, seeing, seeing kids living out of a car, seeing kids with no food. He's tired of seeing kids, uh, you know, with blah, blah, blah. He was, one thing I guess he wasn't tired of was seeing kids lose their fathers because he did kill two dudes. And he wasn't tired of his kids losing their father, <laughs> their own father. So he wasn't too hey, tired man, of that stuff. It's me or that guy. <laughs> and I got to get home to little Johnny and Pearl. Yeah. And my idiot wife. Yeah. Well, that punch that punch he gave uh, Mitchum was stellar. That was a really good stunt. He knocked his block off in that cell. <laughs> literally, Harry's just badgering to learn about the location of the money because he basically knows that this guy's going to die, so it doesn't matter. Right. What do I got to lose at this point besides getting a dotted eye? But, um, and it, Preacher Harry, Harry Powell, is played by Robert Mitchum, dude. Like, What a role. What a yeah. role for him. So good. Uh, it's truly haunted soul, man. He he portrays so much through his eyes a lot of times, you know, yep. and his baritone voice. His voice is very deep. And uh, he was he he was in the remake of Cape Fear because he was in he was the Max Katie from Cape Fear, I believe, in the original. Am I right? I can't. You know, I can't remember. I have to look that up. I think he played the original Max Katie in Cape Fear, and uh, so he was in the remake as well. He was in Scrooged. Um, an old movie called Story of G.I. Joe, which is probably a better G.I. Joe adaptation than the Snake Eyes movie. Um, but yeah. So he, 
it, De Niro did the Cape Fear remake, right? Uh, De Niro was Max Cady in the Cape Fear remake. And that's and, why I think Robert Mitchum played him in the original. Um, and then he had a walk-on role as like a police officer. But, or but did De Niro also remake. play in the remake of this, of The Night of the Hunter? Was that was it Nick Nolte? Or who was in that, the remake of this there one? There was no remake. The only remake of this one that I could see was like a 1991 made-for-TV where Richard Chamberlain played Harry Oh, Powell. okay, okay. And uh, it's, you know, on the internet they're saying, please wipe this from existence, which we've said so many times about other remakes of, right, right. you know, classic movies, yeah. Martyrs, you know, yep. the classics. Um, so... Pastor Harry at this point knows that there's money for the taking and a widow in the making. So, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, so Ben Harper is eventually executed. And at this point, nobody knows where the money he stole is hidden. Well, except his kids. So, except for his children, which you would think, you know, police pursue a robbery suspect to his home. They would secure the scene and search the home and they would eventually find the money in the doll. But I digress, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought this was particularly cruel um, ben and Pearl are at home while the kids are outside. No, no, they're at Spoons, maybe. But the kids are outside singing a song called Hing Hang Hung. Yeah, and then they're drawing pictures in chalk of a, of a hangman um, in front of them. And I guess it was nice to see the kids were jerks in the 50s, too. It's not just now, but uh, those kids sucked, and that was a pretty crappy thing to yeah, do to those. Dude, yeah. I mean, if you know, it, it could be, you know, they're naive. They have no idea what's going on. But something leads me to believe that they were pushing... Johnny and Burles I Burles believe Burles. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, their kids, their dad's about to be hung up in, in a few minutes and they're singing hing, hang, hung, which like, it's pretty grim stuff yeah. for kids to know. Yeah. Um, but then Johnny and Pearl, um, get confronted by some creepy old lady who asks them about the money immediately. I don't, we never see this lady again, but she's some, a lot of the like, um, townsfolk, have a really good look about them, dude. Very authentic. Uh, and I like their speech, their uh, way of speaking too. It was re- it was really cool. It was it wasn't so foreign that you couldn't understand what they were saying, but it was really eloquent, and it, it wasn't the way we speak today. And I, I enjoyed the townsfolk and but their, also their banter. southern, very regional region dialect um, accurate. Because yeah. like she's like, uh, your mama tell you where that money gone? Uh, I heard a couple of yonders. Like I'm gonna get them over yonder. I, I worked in a couple of skedaddles in my notes. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so um, now we know that everybody in town knows about this money. So it's a big deal. Everybody wants to know where it's at. And uh, then we meet the widow, who is Willa Harper. I don't know if you recognize her at all. Uh, I knew it was Shelly Winters, um, but I had never seen her this young before. I hadn't seen her anything this old. Oh, dude, it was incredible just to see. And like, dude, they were still acting in the 80s, 90s. Right. Right. Um, she's a cinema great. I loved her in Roseanne. She played Roseanne's grandmother. I loved her. Yeah, uh, Delta great. Force, the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, fun fact, she also auditioned for the Gone with the Wind movie, and the casting director told her to take acting lessons. No way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. She did take acting lessons, and she acted from 1943 to 1999 with 162 credits. Wow, to he did her a solid then. Good advice. Yeah, like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Because I think Gone with the Wind was like in the third, 20s. Or, nah, it couldn't have been. Late thirties, maybe. Yeah, it was before this movie for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. So, nice uh, pro tip right there. Yeah. Um, and then, at, so Will is at the restaurant Spoons, <clears throat> which we spend a lot of time in, and she's being berated by Icy for being a widow. Yeah, Icy, Icy was funny. Like the stuff she said was funny. I don't know if she was comedy relief or whatever she was, but Icy had zero good advice. Um, 
Icy was it was a really strong, now we know a very Willa strong so character. Clueless be- <laughs> we know why Willa's so clueless because she spends hours a day with her boss, yeah. who has the wor- she's like the the opposite of Dear Ann Landers. Oh my god, she had the worst advice through the whole movie. <clears throat> we should create a um, a um, like a informational website or like somewhere to give people advice it's an advice column advice, yeah. where we call it icy spoons and people write in and we just tell them the absolute worst thing to do uh, what a great name though man icy spoon that worked in a in an ice cream shop called spoons that's a great that's was good. it an ice cream shop or a restaurant no it's an ice cream shop okay because i thought i saw some like other things in the background like because icy was always making fried chicken and all sorts of shit too so i figured maybe it was a restaurant that specialized in really good ice cream or something no, I think it even said ice cream on the building. And, and if you look when they're talking a lot, they're making banana splits and Sundays. Sundays like, yeah. and I did notice that. But yeah. I, I noticed other stuff in the background. I thought maybe, but you're probably right. Um, and then what's cool is while she's giving a speech, right? Evelyn Vardone plays Icy. She was in the bad scene, Alfred Hitchcock. While she's giving this information, talking about um, a man's a coming who's going to fill her void. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you get some cool editing shots of a dark train rolling into town, and it every time it showed the train, it would change the music to the theme of, you know, bad preacher Harry Powell dun, moving dun, in. Dun. Yep. Pretty much every and time. She's talking about you need to find you a new man and get married, by, and then it would cut to the train, and it would have that tone. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so good. Um, and then Johnny tells Pearl a bedtime story about a, I think a king. Some sort. Anyway, what's funny about that is those two kids, right? I thought they did pretty well acting in this film. But director Charles Lawton, who directed this movie, he was a famous actor. This is the only movie he's ever directed. First and only time as a director. He was a producer. Um, Fun fact, he also has an IMDb credit for special thanks on a movie titled Nosferatu versus Father Pipecock and Sister Funk. Wow. Okay. Out of all your accomplishments, that's the one that makes it in your IMDb. Yeah, really. <laughs> portfolio. But anyway, so the two kids did really well. But if you'll notice, there's a lot of scenes where they hold long on the on the girl who played Pearl. Yeah. And that was because Charles Lawton got along with the boy just fine, but he had a problem with the girl, and she was she w- didn't get along with him really well. So, a lot of times when you saw the reactions of her appearing to about be ready to cry or she was afraid. That was her interaction with Charles Lawton, not Robert Mitchell. Really? Wow. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. I thought the kids like, did sell it. I, I took, I mean, her, her acting wasn't as, as good as um, as the, what was the boy's name? Um, pa, 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 Johnny? Pa, pa. Yeah, John, or Billy Chapin, I think, was his real name. Um, right. I thought he resembled Peter Billingsley a little bit in A Christmas Story. Yeah, tiny I bit. can see that. Um, I thought handsome he, kid. Handsome Both kid. handsome kids. I thought that he sold the role really well. I, I gave Pearl a little bit of a pass because I think she was just younger at the time, and it was probably harder for her to um, do what he was doing. But I, I thought for child actors, both of them, uh, neither of them bothered me. I could tell you that. As a, a father of a child who's been in a movie, mm-hmm, who had mm-hmm. very little time to prepare, mm-hmm. I can attest that it's not as easy as people think. Well, I'm sure just I could get up do there it. and say lines and stuff. Like, it's not that easy, yeah. dude. I couldn't do it. I can't do it at my current age, so that's what I'm saying. I'm giving them both credit. I, th- I thought that he outshined oh, yeah. her, but they both did good. No, 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 and I totally catch on to that, man. I was just saying, like, I couldn't imagine being a kid that young and having to act. Yeah. You don't even really understand what's going on, but you're having to throw out lines and make it believable while this director who's a grown man is telling you to do it yeah. scarier or do it sadder, and you're like, I don't know how to yeah. do it. You're not doing it right. I'm like, but I'm doing what I know, but it's not right. Yeah. Seven. I yeah. just want... 
I just want Fruit some of that snacks. ice cream from spoons here. <laughs> I just wanted an apple slice. Yeah. I guess that was the big delicacy back in the time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I will say the movie has impeccable lighting, dude. Um, super, su- super, just great. It really sets a tone and it makes the movie eerie. I, I, would, I was having trouble figuring out how we did it half the time because there was flames from candles or light bulbs um, on on scene where you could see them, but the lighting still had the shadows and the it, it enhanced where it needed to. Super good job. And so while Johnny's telling the story about a bad guy who's going to come and take money or whatever, like the shadow of the preacher as Johnny gets to the bad guy part comes into the story and then you see his wide brim hat and he yeah. walks in the frame and it's just awesome. The clean, that was the cleanest introduction. Uh, that was one of the cleanest introductions I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah. Just in the, on the wall, he's telling his sister's laying in bed. He's sitting next to the bed, telling her the story about a bad man coming to town. And as he's telling that story behind him on the wall, you see the silhouette of Mitchum with the hat. It almost looked like the, the exorcist or I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the exorcist hat or the poltergeist, um, more poltergeist probably, but it shows yeah, it appearing the old, behind old, him. Uh, guy from part two or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was really great way to 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 put those two things together: the story and the guy coming to town. And when he moved into frame, they came up with that character thing that we've heard throughout the movie already. So, dude, I, I think character like themes are the best because they're always the most humble. Like when you hear them, you immediately conjure up images of. Uh, just imagine like. Um, the Indiana Jones theme, right? Yeah. John Williams was a master at that stuff. And we talked about that, I think, a couple episodes ago where he just layers all those together. It was perfect, dude. Yeah, really nice job. Um, and then you get the um, the classic top 10 shot of Mitchum like walk, uh, just lurking on the fence line while bellowing the funeral dirge, leaning, which is a typical theme throughout the movie, too. Yeah. Um, He's got this crazy song about leaning on the arms of God or something. And he's just out there looking at the house, kind of lurking, just singing that song all dour. And uh, then it fades off, which is really grimy, dude, because you know, like it's just setting up tension and letting you know, like the bad things are about to come. Yeah. Now you put the lighting, the music behind the creeper dude. And it's a 1955, man. What a masterful job of, of doing that. Yeah. I think Lawton does a good job of fully animating the town and breathing life into it because um, this is Southern Gothic noir, right? Uh, Johnny's doing little kid things and we meet Uncle Birdie, who's played by James Gleason. Um, uh, I think he works on his skift with uh, Uncle Birdie, too, for a little while. And while he's doing that, they're showing like townspeople going throughout their day. It's kind of really like establishing where you're at. Yeah. In America, you know what I'm saying? And everybody's very, very poor. And I would say this, um, it seems trashy now, but only rich people live in boats. Yeah, no, or have boats, yeah. Or it seems trashy in this film, but only rich people now live in boats. Yeah, yeah so, that got flipped. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like old Uncle Bertie, uh, a little bit of a drinking problem, lives in a boat that looks like a fucking tuna can. Yeah. And, <laughs> nice. you know. <laughs> nice. Uh, and these movies were all filmed in Moundsville, West Virginia, um, I think Los Angeles and Ohio, but I thought they had just great locations, uh, and they were all very fitting, especially like the rivers. I don't know if that was on set, like some sort of Disney ride or something, but like it all looked great. And it did a good job too of, of taking real world, uh, environment. And then when, when it needed to, it would, it would be an obvious set, almost like a stage play, like I said earlier, where, where they would need that for the proper lighting and for the, for the backdrop to be eerie enough. And I thought they did a good job of switching between, um, real life and set pieces. Oh yeah. Like outdoor, like a TV show, right? We always talked about they're on set inside, but when they go outside, it's always kind of like, Whoa. Yeah. 
like you know jack trippers you know not at the regal beagle or, yeah. or his apartment <laughs> he's right? at the beach yeah. yeah it's weird um and i think charles lawton took a lot of that because he said like and i, I believe this is a quote from him um that when you make a movie, once the movie's finished, that's it. You can never change it. But if you do stage plays, you can adjust the script, the lighting, oh, every single night to make it better and better and better. So Interesting. That's a really good point. You can on the fly. Uh, yeah, that didn't work. Let's try this. That's that's a really good point. I just uh, I watched American Movie last night. Have you ever seen that? No. It's a movie about a guy by the name of Mark Bor- Borchart, I think is his name. And he's making a horror movie. I think it came out in the 90s. And he's making this small film called Coven, not Coven. Cause it sounds too much like oven. He says, so Coven nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's filming the last scene of his movie and he films it and it's bittersweet for him. And then he goes to the editing bay and he's taking his time and he just can't seem to finish the movie. And he says, I think it's in my brain. Like I know that when I finish editing this film, that's the last I'll ever get to work on it. And then I have to release it into the world oh. in its current state and I can never change it. Right. You know, so, I'm sure that could be daunting for some people. I always who, thought especially about that. A perfectionist. I thought about that with artists. Like I watch a lot of uh, Bob Ross still with my son in the background, and I think like, when do you know the painting's done? Because sometimes it's only halfway through. I'm like, dude, it's perfect. Like you don't need anything else. And then he just keeps adding, uh, you know, a, a mountain or a trail or hey, let's put in a bush. But I, in my head, it's like, no, it's done. You're gonna mess it up. And I wonder how many artists have that same uh, thing. Like, when do you stop? When is the picture done? And I think as an artist, it's it's very important to know that because. How many people have ruined masterpieces by just adding a little bit too much paint or a little bit too much pencil or, you know, and it's like, oh, too much. Yeah. That's over. Um, And then Johnny heads back to Spoons where the preacher is getting a little too close for comfort with Bold Pearl. Yeah. She's instantly uh, taking him as her dad, basically. Yeah. She's uh, looking for father, a father figure at this point because old dad's gone. And uh, Robert Mitchum gives the famous right hand, left hand speech, which... Um, was also reenacted in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, and you told me a little bit, bit about that. Yeah, I, d- I really did like that in uh, Do the Right Thing. It was a part of the movie that stuck out to me. I even wanted those rings, if anybody's seen that movie. I saw it in the theater, and uh, the guy has on four-fingered rings. One says love, one says hate, and he gives almost a verbatim... Um, I mean, this is obviously taken from this movie. There's no way it was a mistake you know, or a coincidence. Oh, he's, he's said that. He's been on yeah. AMC before, and he's said that... This movie had a great impact on him, so he wanted to take that speech verbatim yeah. and put it into his movie. And he says, uh, he, he says, I think after that movie, like the sale of those love hate rings were through the roof. I can imagine. <laughs> like I wanted them. them. I wanted them. And I did. This I did was back take... before the internet. Like, how would you even find them? Really, you have to find it at the mall. Yeah, um, I yeah. did take the cut of, of, of no, the no, speech. Spencer's. Yeah, Spencer's. Um, I took a cut of the speech. Uh, okay, it, it is long. It's a minute long, but I, I really like it. So, if you want, you want me to play, or you want me to hold it. Go for okay. it, man. Let's do it. Oh, you want to play it out? Yeah, I was going to play. The, I, no, I was going to play the whole thing right now, just so everyone could hear it. I like it that much. Yeah. Ah, little lad, you're staring at my fingers. Would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand, left hand? The story of good and evil. H a t e. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L o v e. You see, these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging one against the other. Now watch them. Old brother left hand, left hand hates a fighting, and it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. 
It's love that won. And old left hand hate is down for the count. Super good. And I like the uh, I like the Spike Lee version as well. I think they're both great. They're both they're both good, dude. Like I actually watched the Spike Lee one, and they're both really good. It's just a good speech, yeah. you know. Uh, and Johnny promised his dad he would care for Pearl, and he doesn't like Preacher immediately. You can see it in his eyes. Yeah, like, he, he was he was all that he he was seeing right through that bullshit. Man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you. Do you think Icy uh, should probably be listed as an accomplice for? Uh, Harry, if anything bad happens to Willa and the kids, because she invites the preacher to stay in town. He's like, oh, about to hit the old dusty trail. And she's like, no, you should stay for the picnic. Yeah. You ain't going to get none of my fudge if you don't stay for the picnic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Icy sucked. I mean, she didn't. She was one of my favorite characters in here, actually, because she was funny. She was a strong woman, too. She was. She was a very strong woman. Very she opinionated. Was always, like, at one point, she was uh, emaciating her husband by dressing him down and talking that sass. <laughs> Dude, did you hear her talk when she's and when they're actually eating the fudge at the picnic? She's saying something about when you've been married for forty years, when you're laying in bed next to your husband, all you care about, you know, the next fudge you're going to bake, not him. And then he's he's all pissed off in the background. Um, Icy was funny, but Icy gave the worst advice of of any friend or uh, coworker you could possibly give constantly. Because, because spoiler alert: the the death of Willa is directly her responsibility because she was playing. Uh, uh, who's the guy from the dating game? Uh, Chuck Woolery. No. Yeah, she was yeah, playing Chuck Woolery. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, yeah, she's basically telling like Willa, like, hey, man, you can't raise the kids on your own. Th- this is this is what God wants you to do. They dropped a preacher in your lap. If you don't get with him immediately, he's going to get with another chick, guaranteed. She tells her that. Yeah, I mean, he's a hot commodity, a man yeah. of God who uh, won't touch you at all and berate she, you. She didn't know that yet, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'll tell you what, he does go to the picnic, and all those old biddies' private parts are a pulsating. Oh, bro. They're, they're quivering. All those, their knees are weak, dude, because they were a quivering. That cobbler's are running. <laughs> oh, everybody at this picnic, the the, the uh, ratio for women to men was way off. No, not like any picnic so, I've ever been to, I can tell you that. There's like 25 ladies. There's uh, Icy's husband. There's Johnny and the preacher. Yeah, and all <laughs> the chicks. Else. They're all fanning themselves. They're all having the. Uh, they're all catching the vapors from the preacher or something. <laughs> they got the hot flashes. <laughs> His old spice is definitely setting them off the charts. Oh my god! Hey, hey, man, look, hey man, let's give it up. The Robert Mitchum's a good-looking cat. They picked the right one for the role because everyone from the the youngest chick to the oldest chick in the movie all had a thing for him. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Which which is was- which is great because it makes his evilness. Uh, work even better because people are enthralled by him. First of all, preacher, so you're thinking he's a good guy. Very good-looking man, so you're thinking, oh, man, this guy, I want to be around this guy. Uh, but he's the psychopath. He's a, he's a nutcase. Great communicator. Yeah. Wouldn't that be the uh, the identity of a psychopath, right? It's perfect. Able to manipulate people, able yeah. to get them to do what he wants them to do. I yeah. mean, because his plan worked like a champ, too. It worked. There was I mean, no deviation. With help from IC, it worked perfectly. Yeah. Excuse me. So Harry tries bluffing um, John and tells him basically like, hey, your daddy told me where the money is. And uh, it's at the bottom of the lake. He put it at the bottom of the lake, tied to some weights. And instantly, uh, Willa's body is a quivering from her newfound cleanliness. Right. Because her whole thing was she was she felt that the town was looking bad on them because they thought she knew where the money was and she'd never get out she of that, that stigma. She was secretly rich and they were all right. poor still. Right. Yep. So they, they had uh, she had a stigma about her. And, and this guy saying that freed her 
um, from that. So it made her, uh, you know, uh, born again, basically. She was happy again. Yeah, uh, because she doesn't have to carry that guilt. Right. But that statement also worked twofold because now Johnny knows he's full of shit. Yes. Yeah. Johnny knows that that's his daddy didn't tell him nothing. So he's instantly suspicious even more about this guy. Right. Um, and then John checks back in with uncle, uncle birdie and we get an important piece of information that, uh, Pa skiff will be ready for a fishing in a week. So that boats, every MacGuffin that's pulled up in this film is used later. That's for sure. Yeah, they he uh, and you can kind of tell right now that John that's maybe John's out. That's going to be his uh, escape pod or however you want to put it. Yeah, to escape the uh, ship with R two D two and C. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought like when John gets back home and like preacher Harry's just looming over him, and you notice like the 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 set is very claustrophobic. Johnny's stuck in a hallway, um, and the preacher's at the top of the frame just looming over him. So basically John's in like this cramped in small space. There's nowhere for him to go at all. He's just completely trapped. And, uh, that's kind of like what I would assume like a, a kid who's getting a new stepdad who he doesn't know at all would feel like moving into that situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just very, um, he's trapped. Uh, he's, he's, this is an adult now that's in your house in your safe place. Um, and he's hovering over you and you're in your, uh, in your bubble, uh, John already didn't like him. It was very obvious. And the, the pre, it's one of those movies too, and we've seen it a bunch of times before where no one believes the kid, like always, but the guy would flip on a, on a, on a dime. He would be menacing and evil and horrible towards John. And then as soon as another, uh, will, uh, the, the other child or Willow would walk in the room or, or icy, he was the loving, uh, supporting, caring man. And that's, that creates a really good tension, I think, in, in most movies if they, if it's done right. It reminded me a lot of my childhood because my stepdad was a stellar individual, but I still had trepidations, right? When yeah. when I saw him kiss my mom for the first time, I felt like a knot in my stomach because yeah. it wasn't my dad, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they would want to take me places, and it was always this weird guy who I didn't really know who was trying to make a relationship with me, and yeah. I always felt very alien that, you know, of course— the hard outer shell broke away over time, but I could only imagine what a kid in that situation, because I had a loving stepfather. This guy's got a fucking creep, you know? Yeah. That connection just isn't there, uh, yet, you know, from, especially in this movie, um, for him to be that close, for him to be that intrusive. Um, and, and Mitchum played it up perfectly. He was so menacing. Yeah. Plus, I mean, how many fathers of that day were probably really like that, but it was your father. So you were, familiar with them you're yeah. comfortable with the way you know they'd make you go out in the field and do all this work all day and come home and right. eat a potato and shit but it was your dad so you, it made it that much more palatable you know? yeah and, and and keep in mind too i think the dad got hung like what a week ago it's like five days ago or something it was yeah, very, dude, it, it was, he was very very quick but do you think but do you think back in those days that, that was for necessity like listen for me to survive i've got to marry this guy i may not even really know him but he seems like a decent guy at least he can help me make money so I can survive. That's kind of how the town was pushing her. They were telling her like, Hey man, you better snap them up quick. You can't raise these kids on your own. So I, I can get that a little bit, but, um, the familiar, familiarity he was putting on the kids right away, I think added to the yeah. tension and the uh, creepiness of the, of the whole scene. Well, he was two faced. Yeah. Like Pearl is just smitten with him. And she's actually thinking about, she's wanting to spill the beans and tell him where the money is. Right and away. Johnny's like, yeah. 
we talked about the false prophet in sheep's clothing, man, the bad guy coming into town. Well, put yourself in John's shoes. Everybody loves this dude, but you already know he's he's a bad guy. You already know he's lying, and no one's believing you, and he's hovering over you constantly and pressing you. Uh, yeah, man, that, that's it, it adds Which, I mean, how, how many movies have taken from this where the kids in town, Monster Squad, you hate it, but they know what's going on, and the adults are like, you crazy yeah. kid. I mean, how many movies have started and ended like that, yeah, you know? Right. Um. So... Willa and Harry go out of town to get married, leaving the kids with Icy. And in a weird scene, Willa finds a switchblade in Harry's pocket, and she's like, oh, man. Oh, these crazy guys and their switch... These crazy priests and their switchblades. Like, back then, like, position of a switchblade was like a 30-year uh, sentence. I know, Because you know? only the greasers and the, the sharks and the jets had switchblades. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she, I guess uh, I don't know. Is it is it her being naive, or or uh, is it setting her character up, or was it just a weird? Why did she even find it? Why was that part there? You know, I know well, you know like what she it was. Bumps into the jacket on the bathroom door. And she's like, "What is that?" You know she what? Thinking on it now, pulls out I think it's there to show that she was willing to to overlook or to ignore things that she should have. She should have been. She a little submitted more, herself yeah. to him. Uh, without any regard to her own safety, she just literally relented. But there were warning signs that she should have picked she up. She should have. But I think she was so just, um, she was in such a bad situation. Like sometimes you have to, and dude, how many people who are victims of domestic violence and abuse and stuff, how many people do ignore those factors yeah. in real life? They find a reason, you know, they find, find, they find some reason to uh, explain it away or to make it okay. Yeah. I could never survive without this person yeah. when in fact. They're the reason why you're in the predicament you're in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he beats me, but he um, works hard. He's a really hardworking guy. Yeah, there's a, you hear you hear that constantly. It's uh, it's a sad thing. But I thought the mom's change of heart in this was pretty abrupt. I, she went from like not wanting to even date him and being pushed into it to being um, madly in love, smitten with him. I thought that was a little quick. Uh, the change, the way she flipped the character, was, it, was, it was abrupt. She was extremely submissive. Um, she didn't care about the, the well-being of her children anymore. Yeah. She just cared cared about her her spirituality and her relationship with her abusive. And and I didn't think that he put in enough work to make her switch. I, I, I it was just too quick for me. I think. Well, I think in the in the constraints of a 1955 movie where film stock True. was extremely expensive, like you've got yeah. to get in and get out and tell an efficient story. Yeah, you know? I mean, it just. The rest, yeah, I agree with you. It was very jarring. The rest of the because, movie wasn't like that. Is the problem like they they really expanded the characters and the plot line, and they didn't rush yeah. anything? But that little portion of it did feel rushed. You could have had another ten minutes of him doing certain psychological things right. to get her to to turn. Because basically, they're newly married, so she's like, "I've got my my best." fornication frock on <laughs> you can uh, see my ankles in this one <laughs> yeah she's uh she's like hey are you ready to uh consummate this thing and he's like you think i'm just gonna maul over your body because i'm a man yeah. uh women are for procreating you want children and he's like stand in that mirror and he just basically breaks her down <laughs> yeah now that that breakdown worked it was just like a little quick but uh yeah he he's he's just hating on her she came to bed thinking this is our maryland night and he's like you dirty bitch. like he's so mad at her um you think i'm gonna touch your privates with my privates that is uh, unless we're gonna make a child yeah so um so she went to the bathroom before she went to bed and hung out with herself for a little bit and uh had a nice nap <laughs> <laughs> um 
then you get another scene between Birdie and John. So they did really good establishing Birdie as somebody that John can trust. It's right? another adult. Yeah, it's a, an adult yeah. that he might be able to turn to in a pinch. And that was, hey man, is that the way you fish though? His fishing technique was way off. Yeah, like he he, he like straight yanks a uh, fish into the boat, a gar that's, you know, extremely hard to catch. And then he beats it to death with a crutch. <laughs> Or a shovel an, or an something. oar. He beat it with an oar. So yeah, but the way he caught it was by like like a rainbow, like swishing it above his head, and then he's yelling. Your body it. slams it into the back yeah, of the yeah. boat. <laughs> yeah, he eats it into the boat, and then he grabs the oar. And when he's beating the fish, he's like, "You dirty bait stealing son of a bitch!" He's like beating the fish. So it was an odd fishing. It was a very not calm, uh, relaxing just, fishing. Just so you scene. know that that's how I get fish off the hook because I don't want to touch them. I bring a, a baseball bat with me and just, uh, you know, uh, throw it up in the air and bink, right off the hook. You and Birdie uh, must be onto something. <laughs> that's not true. But that entire story was fake. <laughs> um, it cuts to that dude. That is probably the most sinister, evil looking church gathering group. I've oh my God. Seen in my life. I'm not helped by the music and the, and the lighting. Uh, Willa basically self-flagellates in front of the entire congregation, and the fires of hell are literally lapping in her bosom, man. Yeah, she, she is playing she's with like, fire. She went from, I, she's just so hot to cold, so now she's giving a speech in front of the town and telling him, you're all sinners, you're all sinners, and my husband, uh, I think she explains the husband's, um, she takes blame, basically, for the husband murdering the bank guards. Yeah, because the reason my husband did that is because I was selfish. I wanted face paint, and I wanted you Perfume, know hair products. I wanted a dress, yeah. and so he was forced to kill people and rob because of my womanly ways. And yeah, some more, some more real. Kind of suggests that probably Mitchum put those words into her head, like, "Hey, I was with your husband. He told me all this," and so uh, I'm pretty sure probably back then Catholic guilt and guilt. Religious guilt itself was extremely overbearing in that time. Yeah, you're probably because right there. every everything came down to uh, you know even like if somebody took a little snip of the old uh, libations, everybody in the town was like, oh, a little sip mercy. of peach schnapps, like uh, what's his name did spoon. <laughs> yeah, but the weird thing to me too was the, was the crowd's reaction. They they got behind it. She turned the crowd. I thought that they were kind of like arguing against her, but it turned out that they were like you know praise you speak it sister speak it. So I guess she. She was able to turn the crowd into into her point of view. Yeah, yeah. Like it's quick how how you know religious um, fervor fervor can take over an entire town. Think about like the Salem witch trials. Like yeah, yeah. just took over that one little town. Yeah. Everybody's a witch. Yeah. So um, we then learned that the money because Pearl pulled the money out of the doll, so it's all over the ground outside. And Johnny's like, what are you doing? Crazy. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to tell Harry. So he's like, no, you can't. We promised dad. And he's shoving it. And dude, the tension there where Harry's walking down the sidewalk. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That was really cool. Cause he, he's got his, he's hiding it basically, but kind of like in front of his body and Harry's coming right towards him. He's jamming the money into the doll real quick. It was really good. And he was doing that line of questioning that only parents are really good at. You know, because you see your kid acting suspicious, and you're like, "Hey, what are you doing over What's there?" And they're on? just looking at you and grunting, yeah. like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And they're over behind the couch in between the curtains, shitting their pants. And you're like, "What <laughs> are you doing over there?" Yeah, and they're just staring at you, but you know something's off. It's a parent so, sense. I mean, so like he's questioning this kid, like, "What? What's taking you so long to get inside and do your chores?" And he's like, "Oh, just helping Pearl get her stuff together." And uh, dude, this kid's life has been completely 
ruined and turned upside down. And you just feel so terrible yeah. for him. Yeah, it's such a short period of time. Now his mom's sipping the Kool-Aid too, and she's all behind this guy and all super crazy religious. And Like every time he says anything to his mom, she reports it immediately to Harry, and she's just like completely you know, disappointing her kids and throwing them under the bus. Yeah, because he's trying to tell the mom, like, hey, man, this guy keeps asking about dad's money. And she's just like, why? Why would you lie about a good man like that? And just won't believe him. And it's just poor, poor guy, man, poor little kid. And what's crazy is, in the next scene, you know, Harry doing Harry things. He's like, you know, getting close to Pearl and talking about how pretty she is and blah 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 blah, and got her on his lap. And Pearl is literally about to tell him where the money is, and John claps him right in the head with this big ass brush. Yeah. That was it was funny. That I think that's part of that sneaky sense of humor that uh that my dad was talking about in the intro. It there it, dude, there is some sneaky sense of humor. There's some funny stuff in there, but he just claps him right in the dome. It was really good. And so uh at this point Harry's getting extremely aggressive and he threatens Pearl and calls her a wretch, I think. And that's when Willow walks in on that, but she still doesn't believe her kids, man. Actually, no, no, she you know, did, that's when she switched. She does. She does yeah, yeah, that's when she does realize. But Instead of fighting for her kids, she just fucking gives up. Yeah, that 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 that's part of what I was complaining about earlier. So to set that up, when he takes Pearl out of the room, and I think he says she's going to retch her arms off or something. That's what you were talking yeah. about. I'm going to pull her arms off. He calls her rich for sure so yeah. at some point. And then uh, the mom hears that outside the window. She hears him, and he's yelling at Pearl, tell me where the money is, tell me. Now, how can the mom deny it at this point, right? She's hearing it right from his mouth, and he's he's uh, threatening the child. And when she, when she comes in the house... He knows right away, and he, he confronts her about it, which I didn't see coming, actually. I thought that that was going to drag out a little. Um, but he's like, you heard us, didn't you? You heard us. And, and it's almost like she didn't care. Like, yeah, I heard you, but but it's all good. You know, she's she's on another level now, and that, that part of the story was well, hard for me to swallow. At this point, she's uh, spiritually right with God, so I think to her, she can just give up now. Yeah, Because I mean, life is yeah. so hard. Like, I, I know my soul is good with God, so I can die and just go to heaven. Or do it. But, you know... What's crazy is the next scene, he basically, he's talking to her in bed. Uh, that scene is just, it's expertly set up because yeah. a lot of symbolism here. The room almost has the raised ce- ceilings yeah. like a cathedral, right? Yeah. She's laying on the bed. She's completely enveloped in white light and her arms are crossed, crossed. almost like, as if she's in a coffin. Right. And he's just walking back and forth. He slaps her a couple of times, abusing her, proselytizing again, talking about Jesus. And basically just stabs her with the, uh, he doesn't show it, but he kills her with the uh, switchblade. Yeah, it was a very artistic scene. And that's another scene that looked like a play to me. It looked like more something on stage. Uh, the way it was shot, what kind of from a higher angle where you could see those uh, vaulted ceilings. Um, it was just weird to me that that she admitted to knowing that he that he was lying and didn't care. It was like, it doesn't matter. The Lord still put us together uh, so that we could come to this point and so that I could be redeemed which I think yeah. the fact that, I mean, she should, if anything, she should feel guiltier because now she knows that the money isn't in the lake and <laughs> the kids do know where it is. So her redemption has gone there, but she does but not I think fight back. She thinks that she's just like sacrificing yeah, herself. Yeah, she's pretty kids, much like, like, which I still, I mean, that now you're leaving your kids with the guy. So I, it was a hard scene. Uh, but yeah, he, he ends up doing away with her now that she knows the truth. Uh, I guess, yeah. but I don't even know if she would have told on him at this point. She was so, uh, you know, brainwashed, but. Um, he does. He does uh, kill Willa, kill the mom, which you know now leaves him alone with you know with the kids. So even more tension now. Yeah, well, I thought it was crazy too because like as she's talking to him, he slowly just devolves into madness. Yeah, and right before he kills her, he just raises his hands up in the air and he just screams. Yeah, he, yeah like he, he, to the heavens. He just, like he couldn't take it anymore. He had to, which 
we should have talked about when he was driving down the street. I think he talked about killing like six or 12 widows before even he got to Willow. Yeah, he does so, talk about it, but he's saying like, you know, it, basically the Lord is ordaining it. He's like, because you, you allow me to do this, you allow it to happen. You, it's, it's what you want. I'm doing your will. You know, that that's kind of what I was saying in the beginning. That's the scariest type of crazy. You know what? You know what other movie kind of played off that then? Which one? Frailty. I don't know that I've seen that. That's the one where Bill Paxton has two small boys in like a Southern town and he says that God's speaking to him, so he goes around killing people, and sometimes he kills these people in front of his kids, and these people are, like, begging for their lives, and he's like, no, God has told me this person's a terrible sinner, and he must die. And so Matthew McConaughey, when he's an adult, goes into the FBI office to um, recount his version of events growing up with his dad. Dude, if you haven't seen that, that is... Excellent. That sounds great. That is great. a great movie, dude. Okay. Directed by Bill Paxton, too. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's got a great twist. A twist. Okay. So... Um, so then Harry goes back into town and he basically fools everybody with his woe is me shtick, right? She left me. He she took me. off with somebody. Yeah. He is a con man, dude, through and through a, yeah. a, a carnival barker. Like he's got everybody wrapped around his thumb. Yeah. So uh, now, now he's, he, now he's the hero because he's telling, uh, Icy and, and, um, and the, the other, her other husband's Walt, name? Walt, Icy and Walt. Walt. Um, yeah. he's telling them like, what, what can I do now? I have to stay. These children need me. Like he's, in, he, now he's ingrained himself. He, he's, he's the good guy. The savior. He's yeah, the good he's guy. The savior now. Of these children. But to he, him, it's just, it, I, I'm free now to exploit these children and find the secret. But yeah. Crazy the, about that. Sorry, it's not sorry. only does he kill Willow without anybody knowing he besmirches her, her reputation yes. by claiming that she was drinking and like her being gone. Is a concern with Icy, but as soon as he says she was drinking, she's like, oh my gosh. Screw her. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Like, as soon as he said that, like, man, she was lower than low. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. And he's uh, crying and, and crying at the shop. And, and, you know, now I got these children. I got to take care of them. The Lord put them in my hands. And he's doing his whole Robert Mitchum thing. And uh, it works perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and then you get that haunting image of Willa in the car at the bottom of the lake, dude. That shot awesome. is Wow, that was cool, You've man. Got, got the algae or whatever floating underneath and her hair floating in the same direction. And she's just, I don't, that was a hell of a special effect for 1955 because you've got a, Amazing. the body of Willa at the bottom of the lake strapped into a car, just sitting upright with her eyes closed. Just, it was crazy yeah. how good that was. She's, she's tied to the seat of the car. There's, there's seaweed flowing around her head, like a, almost like a mermaid, and like her hair's flowing, but she wasn't underwater. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, in real life, it wasn't shot underwater. I don't know how they did the effect, but I did remember reading that that it was she wasn't holding her breath. It wasn't an underwater shot. Um, and she's got pretty, the slit neck. You don't think throat. it was a dummy? No, it was really her, according to what I read. It was set up. It was a set up shot. I think I read it was a set up shot. Dude, we're going to have to do some research on that. Because it was really good. But I think uh, some of the other people were saying like they couldn't believe it wasn't really her underwater. And I, I remember reading that, it, that it, it was her, but it wasn't underwater. So really done well. <laughs> Dude, do you think that that would have absolutely horrified people in 1955? Okay, yeah, it's got to be. That's what my dad is saying because he was trying to warn me, like, "Hey, man, this this is not going to hit as hard as is is today by today's standards." But trust me, this hit hard when it came out. This was no joke. Well, I could see that because, dude, I still can see that image clearly in my yeah. head. Like, and I remember it from 
when I saw it years ago, you know, it just, it, it sticks. And they throw the music and, uh, behind it. It's got kids, like a kid's orchestra singing. It's got a very, uh, lighthearted, oh, um, yeah. like almost a, a fairy tale. Yeah. Angelic music behind it while it's showing her underwater with the, the slit throat. She's got the, the line. It's not graphic. It's got the line across her neck. Cause I don't even think they, I don't know if they could show what they were showing back then, but, um, man, it worked. What a, what a, what a yeah, great absolutely. shot. And uh, old Birdie hooked a big one because yeah. he is a, he finally is able to that water is crystal clear not like today um, he could see directly to the bottom of that lake he's and fishing see her he's fishing again yeah he's fishing he, he sees her yeah so um, the kids are now hiding in the basement I think as Harry comes back to the house stalking them and this is where to me it turned from like a southern gothic horror noir to more of like a fairy tale type type feel to it. Because you've got the two kids trying to evade like the big bad wolf, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's got a it's got a little bit of a like a a, a somber Home Alone feel. Or um, dude, I did say that. Did you? Oh my god! Awesome, awesome. Uh, I I guess Icy saves them because she calls them out of the basement for some fried chicken, and uh, so they got to come out of hiding for supper. But fun fact, they don't get anything to eat because Harry withholds dinner from these two starving children in order to get the information about the money. Right. Right. And so. Um, Harry, uh, who's becoming increasingly more psychotic throughout the speech at the dinner table, um, John tells him that the money is hidden basically in the cellar under the, under a rock. Right. And so as soon as he says it's in the cellar, I kind of figured out where this was going, but yeah. I didn't expect the twists and turns to get there. Right. Because right. I figured Harry would light the candle and just walk downstairs. They'd lock him in the basement. Exactly. But what he does I thought. He's, right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, why don't you come down with me? So they're like, okay. And that set was just Black and white cinema par excellence, man. It Cobwebs was just amazing. Everywhere, yeah, spider webs. They had webs. darkness swallowing the frame. Like you couldn't see. It, it reminded me of like when my grandmother would tell me to go get canned goods in her basement or, or cellar, where it was pitch black and you would have to walk down into utter darkness, turn the light on, grab what you needed, and then hit yeah. the light and then run up as fast as you could before the monsters got you. Because yeah. you could see there was a lot more black than there was. Light but yeah, in that even scene. even what you, what you said right there, you go in and turn the light on. In this scene, the light was only what was given off by the candle that they were holding, so you couldn't even see the walls around you at certain points. You could only see your immediate um, your immediate surroundings, which was old old bottles and cans of preserves and and tons of cobwebs and dark and, and everything. It was really cool. Yeah, and my grandparents' basement was just like that, dude. It was so goddamn scary. Yeah. Like, it was the worst. Um, so I, I'm figuring, like, they're going to lock Harry in the basement and skedaddle up the stairs, but things take a turn for the worst. Um, so they basically, I think Johnny basically tells him, it's right over there in the corner, dig it up. And he does, and he says it's concrete, and he threatens to cut his throat. And then he convinces them again to go look again. And then he pulls like this balance beam out or this brace underneath a, a shelf. And Harry gets pelted a la Home Alone style nice. by a bunch of jams and jellies and whatnot. A little, little Dennis the Menace vibe going on here too with uh, oh, yeah. like the Christopher Lloyd one. Like he's stalking around the house in the beginning. So I saw a couple of other movies in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was able. But even the escape was done well because as the kids are running up the stairs he's giving him a swipe you know he's 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 falling but he's diving for him on the stairs and swiping at him so it's a good tension build of of his hands barely clipping the back of their shoes on the way up you know it was uh yeah it was great good. a lot of tension a lot of suspense he's swinging at him like uh michael myers from halloween 2 after yeah. he got both of his eyeballs blown out <laughs> yeah 
His arm completely outstretched, but yeah, they narrowly escape, right? And uh, they run straight to Uncle Birdie, who's hammered and is of no use whatsoever. Right, because Birdie had told him in the beginning, if you ever need something, especially with your paw gone, you can come to me for help. But what happened since Birdie saw the dead body in the car underneath, he thought immediately that they were going to blame him. He didn't go to the authorities. Instead, he got shit-faced. So he's blackout drunk in his his shed. They're only... There, his the other the kid's only avenue for for an adult that might help him really because he's the only one that was um you know that was his his safety net is is yeah. not a safety net so it was a nice little twist there of like Birdie isn't going to be able to help him he's all torn up about I don't know why I thought he was going to get blamed but you know whatever but he had got into this into probably the schnapps. back then if you discover the body you're the first <laughs> you, you smelt it you dealt it okay <laughs> so uh I mean think about it there's no like ability for them to do forensic so let me get this straight birdie you're out there in the middle of this big ass lake and you happen to see you know miss harper at the bottom of the lake this just seems too weird you're you're our first suspect it seems to me though birdie could be like well why did i come tell you if i didn't do you know there's it seems like there would have been a better way to handle it but i think birdie Uh, was if it's in the depression they may have had like a severe distress of police too i mean who who knows knows? because the police were probably poor as shit doing questionable things too we don't don't know birdie's motives here but birdie handled it by getting drunk and was zero help to the kids but it does set it up pretty well though because because birdie wasn't there to defend them or to help them uh he takes the skiff he takes the boat which sets up for a nice third act of, of the escape, I thought. That is very important because this is the per- third act. Pearl and John narrowly ex- – dude, they are – I don't know how he doesn't kill them, but it's cool because they're trying to push the boat off the the uh, the la- the edge of the lake, and uh, he's coming at him. He gets stuck in mud, so he's, like, falling in the mud and stuff, and he- they barely push off right before he, he grabs a hold of the boat. And uh, there was just a lot of tension and fear. Mm-hmm. And I felt for the children's safety at all times with that one. I did too. And then he screams like a wounded animal when he doesn't, he isn't able to grab him. Yeah. You catch that? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a feral almost like he's, he's, he's losing it. So then, you know, Harry covering all his tracks, he actually sends a postcard to explain his absence and the children's absence to the spoon. So they don't suspect anything. Yeah. Yeah. So Icy's like, again, horrible to her. See, you didn't trust him. And I'm telling you, he's a good dude. She's still sticking up for him. Yeah, it's like Jesus. Um, and then you get what's kind of cool is like, so the kids are in the boat floating down what I called like some Disney World, like nature float boat yeah, ride. Yeah, a lazy river. And Yeah, lazy river type ride. And Harry's on horseback. And what's cool is it juxtaposes those shots with shots of tortoises and hares. I don't know if you noticed that. I did, yeah. Yeah, so you get that tortoise hare. Um, kids arrive at some farm. And Hush Little One, Hush, which is another excellent really song. Really cool song, yeah. Plays through, and that's the one that Phantomas covered, which was the music you used uh, for your tra- for your uh, trailer at the beginning with your dad. Yeah. That's Phantomas's Hush Little One, Hush. And uh, they have an album called The Director's Cut, and I don't know if I sent you any more uh, songs from that album, but dude, they cover Rosemary's Baby, oh, they do yeah. Psycho, they do so, and so Phantomas consists of Mike Patton on vocals, so that's why you get those cool, like, um, reverbed, like, vocals in like the trailer you played. Yeah. You got Dave Lombardo from Slayer on drums, you've got King Buzzo from the Melvins on guitar, and Trevor Dunn from Mr. Bungle on bass. Wow, man. And so all those songs on that album are just you know, scores you know and love or some that are a little bit more outside the realm of um, popularity, but still very identifiable. Iconic. And they do a great job. Of, yeah, very good, dude. 
Yeah, so this, check that out. Phantom this, this, this part of the movie was really cool because you needed you needed a little a little break for the transition from all the tension of the kids and the chase. And what it did is it gives you this long shot, like you said, of them on the boat and then him on the between him on the boat and them on the horse. But they have really cool music the whole time through it. They have singing. They have Pearl singing at some points. Um, they have really good shots of wildlife. Kitty White, uh, a lady by the name of Kitty White singing the song act, um, by herself solo. So it kind of make it takes it away from the chorus to just that one person to bring yeah. the loneliness around a little bit more. Right. And uh, it re- reminded me a lot of, um, have you ever heard Ralph Stanley's Oh Death? No. Check it out. It's on the uh, Oh Brother, We're Out There soundtrack. Oh, I have because I have the soundtrack. O- yep. Yeah, Oh Death is great. It's just him singing it by himself. There's no instruments whatsoever. And it's a great song. It's so. funny you bring that up because when me and my wife were talking about the movie, she was talking about the way they talk. And I that's what I... They, um, Kind of the example I had used is this is what Old Brother Art Thou was going for with their with the writing. It's it's this, but but enhanced and embellished. Uh, but right. you could hear a, a lot of it. You could hear license. a lot of it in here. Yeah, and this yeah. whole scene was very dreamlike. It was uh, it was ten, ten, the tension is not the high tension; it's the low tension in this part of of the music uh, of him on the seeing the wildlife, him on the horse, them in the boat. So it's almost um, sleepy. It's almost a sleepy tension. It's really weird. Right, it's like just creating that atmosphere, that um, foreboding, just sinister, bad things are coming, yeah. this is not going to end well, you know what I mean? Yeah, but not edge of your seat type thing. This is like a real like eerie, dreamy type thing. Really cool. Simmering, yeah. Um, at that point, they're, they're awakened by the sound of the preacher's baritone bellowing, and he's, um, I think he's singing leaning again, I'm pretty sure, and... That silhouette shot of him up on the ridge riding across. Yeah, awesome. That was a little person on a pony. <laughs> oh, no way. It wasn't Mitchum. That's great. No, that was a little person on a pony. Oh, so, so was that's it how perspective? They that, did it, they need like a different perspective or something? Yeah, to make it look, you know, I, I don't know, more like off putting with the sizes because, you know, if you look at it, the man's as big as the horse, <laughs> you know? That's good. So it's very ominous and bleak, though. Yeah. Um, and fun fact, Mitchum said that this was his favorite movie he had ever worked on, and Lawton was his favorite director, which is saying a lot, because that dude had a lot going on in his yeah, career. Yeah, that's crazy. So now they're back in the boat trying to escape. The water's moving more swiftly now, um, and you see the sly fox, so they escaped. So that's where the sly fox right, come from. Right, and, and they showed the um, frog, I think, during the singing, croaking. It, it was really, it, like you said, Disney. It was. It had a lot of Disney, um, uh, like, the, like when Snow White would sing with the animals type feel to yeah. it. But I think he put those animals in there on purpose. I do though, too. Right? Well, he did because because like sci-fi. when the when the owl kills the bunny, right? It's the it's the the it's the um the strong preying on the weak. You know, there's a lot of symbology yeah. there. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm pretty sure they yanked that owl off that branch with a rope. Oh, I didn't see. Uh, I should watch because if that. you look back when the owl falls off the branch to attack the rabbit, there's like a little string tied around his neck and it gets yanked. Nice. <laughs> I'm sure Peter wasn't on the set for yeah. that one. Um. So, um, you got to remember something too. This is something I thought was pretty important to, to bring up back in those days, there were no freeways and highways where, you know, movies where children escape. Now they're on a bus, um, you know, like, um, they're in public transportation, hitching a ride with, like with somebody. Yeah. yeah. The waterways were the freeways. So everything happened around those areas of travel. So that's why like they're able to pull their boat up to the shore, get out and just go talk to somebody and get a potato here and there because people lived on the freeway, right? On the roads. Yeah, it was a, the thoroughfare. Yeah. So I hope um, that potato was baked, man. Did were they chewing on that raw? 
Yeah, I she, hope it was baked. She took it out of a pot, so... And I only got one potato for the both of these. Yeah, well, you should have asked for some fixins because that potato looked horrible. Uh, can I get this fully loaded? Yeah. What? Uh, I wanted uh, chives, ma'am. On my... <laughs> uh, can you go turn me up some butter real quick? I have one of your um, your child laborers go whip up some butter because this is a little dry. Is this butter or margarine? Uh, no, go ahead and keep it. Yeah. <laughs> so they show up to this strange farm, or they, they pull up on the uh, shore again, and some strange lady who we learn later is Mrs. Coop comes out and immediately starts beating their ass with a whip. Well, they're sleeping. They're taking a little siesta in the boat. And uh, actually, you know, that was one of my my southern questions because my mom used to use the word switch a lot. She would say like, I'll yeah, be that is, is that But is that a southern thing? or Because my mom that was is, from that is They would south. have you go out and pick your own switch That's to get what your she ass whooped. Okay. And my, my stepdad would do that. He would tell me to go out and pick my own switch to get my ass whooped. And I would always try and pull the smallest one out but the trick was oh, the smallest hurt. ones hurt the worst yeah yeah, yeah they okay. hurt the worst so so yeah, my mom that, brought that here but that is from the south that's not like that is 100 percent a thing in the south go okay. outside and pull the switch why because yeah. you're getting your ass whooped yeah and you're just like oh god it's like yeah. it prolongs the punishment like i used to have a teacher uh it was a spanish teacher last time i got spanked if i've told you this let me know uh i was in eighth grade and i got in trouble and what he would do is he would put you out in the hallway he would spank you with a paddle. He would make you walk all the way down to the hall, into the hall and back, and then he would hit you again, and he would make you walk all the way down the hall and back. What he wanted you to do is start crying, and then you would embarrass yourself by walking past all the open-door classrooms and crying. Oh, and then the you, tension of, of while like, Everybody can hear you getting hit Ugh, in the hallway. That dude sucks. Yeah, eighth grade, man. How old was I then? Probably 13? 13-ish, yeah. Yeah, so, by a grown ass man. That's so the, not my dad. The lady, the lady get, gets him up out of the boat, grabs a switch, and says, "Move it, move it," and starts hurting him towards her pad. Is that was she kidnapping him at that point? I mean, it's set up as that she's saving them, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm I mean, not 100 percent sure in, that she was saving them. She was like, "I got two um, un, unaccompanied youngsters here who look like little dirty scamps," and she she obviously has some history with foster care. Because she's got an entire uh, platoon of kids working for her. Well, she also has uh, a history of loving of, of losing this the love of her own kids. That's why she's doing the foster kids. So she might have had the some ones that don't talk to her, her anymore. Yeah. But remember, back then, your kid leaves and goes to another city, and you never hear from him again. It could be because he hates you, or because he's got dysentery and dies. Uh, no, but she said specifically she lost the love of her child, and she's she's but she had more love to give to other ch- children. But did she? She didn't say she lost the love of her child because of the way I treated them. That's true. I took it that way because of the beatings. But I could have been wrong. I guess she only beat them a couple times to get them back on track. She probably saw them as little feral animals, right? It's a little. To her, t- they were little, like little tough loving ain't gonna hurt them type deal. Corporal punishment was a very real thing back then because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but later Mrs. Cooper becomes the sweetest lady in the entire movie. Right. I got I got a bit of a Young Guns feel out of that. Remember how the dude used to take in the the Wayward Boys and Young Guns? I got a little bit of Young Guns feel <laughs> and there. force them to cat, cattle rustle for them. Right, right. So she's but, making them uh, pick pick apples. That's <laughs> very similar. So here's a fun fact about Lillian Gish, who plays Miss Cooper. Uh, 242 credits to yeah. her name, which is exceptional. She played in Duel in the Sun, The Scarlet Letter. Her first role, can you guess the year of her first role? You know what? I did look her up. I don't know the years off the top of my head, though. 1912. Wow. Hey, what a pretty lady, too, man. Like, I looked through yeah. a lot of her, um, like, the the still shots from a lot of the older movies. Yeah. Very pretty lady. Yeah. Uh, and a great actor, too. I thought she did a great job, dude. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. She sure does scrub him up and spanks Johnny's ass, boy. <laughs> Because she's got him buck naked, like washing him. And uh, Johnny runs away. He's buck naked. And she puts him over her knee and spanks his ass. Like, yeah. we're not putting up with this sass here. Um, 
And apparently she's some kind of fostered mom for abandoned orphans. And, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on. I'm sure during the Depression, parents abandoned their children because, you know, some human beings are just terrible by nature, right? So, like, hey, I can't even afford to feed my kids. If I leave them, they'll be able to find a different way, right? Or both parents are absent because they're both out trying to get work wherever work could be, right? Or they sold them them to a farm. (laughs) Yeah. But also, think about how valuable children were to somebody like Mrs. Cooper. Because back then, people had children not because they wanted kids. They had children to work the farm. To help in the fields, yeah. They were the workforce. Like, Dad can't, you know, milk all these cows and plow all this wheat and all this stuff by himself. So we got to start getting some kids in here. And so as soon as you're born, as soon as you're able to walk and carry a bucket of milk from the barn to the kitchen, you're doing that. And now, now, not even a hundred years later, I can't get Michael to take out one trash can. Imagine that, dude, how far the kids have come. (laughs) Hey, Kai, I need you to take out the trash. (laughs) (laughs) I will say this, though. When we had that big rain uh, on Friday, that kid helped me scoop water so my house didn't flood for about two hours and he never complained once so when it mattered yeah yeah he came he through there. he just didn't he want his through. stuff wet is all it was it wasn't yeah, for your we stuff were both yeah we were both like soaking wet drenched and he knew the house was in in danger so he helped me shovel and push and push but like when he's playing a game of valorant and you're like hey i need you to take out the trash oh, just, just, <laughs> you. Yeah. it's like it's amazing your, your concentration is so poor i say three words to you and you're like oh yeah Uh, so people just had a lot of offspring. So I would say this too, for people who say that Hollywood has a lack of strong feminine roles until about 2022, you are wrong because Mrs. Cooper is probably one of the strongest ladies I've seen in a movie. Mrs. Cooper was the shit. She was cool. She takes care of her business. She raises the children. She works hard. She's, um, she's ready with the shotgun. (laughs) It's like the switch and a shotgun. She got them both. She is a tough, determined, hardworking dame that is not to be trifled with. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Which is what these kids needed because their mom was so damn wishy-washy. And, yeah. and the, the, and the dad, dad will murder her. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that little little speech she had, too, to one of the uh, townsfolk where she said something about, I'm a strong tree with branches for many birds. Right. I thought that was very poignant. Really man. cool. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Nurturing. It was resilient. Showed her attitude. Um and she quoted scripture a lot too, but it was it was kind of cool because it was the opposite of Robert Mitchum's uh, quotes, which which set up a, a light and a dark. It set up a good and a bad, uh, which is what this movie is about. You know, you can pull anything you want from the Bible to fit your needs, right? right. And hers was for loving and caring and, and taking care, and his was about yep. punishment and and uh, doing you know, doing wrong. And so it was really cool how they how they had both sides of it. The same the same book, the same type of thing, but both people interpreting it different was a big part of the movie, I think. And then if you see too, like criminals normally, uh, they try to preach like some sort of morality to their crimes and whatnot, right? Yep. Like. They try to prove like what they're doing is because, you know, what I'm trying to say is this. A lot of times criminals have enormous guilt, so they try and place guilt somewhere else to alleviate their guilt, right? So if he's talking about all the shit he's doing, then it's obviously he's doing it because of the women's uh, innate sinfulness and inability to honor their husbands. So he's justified in his own mind of doing right. for what he's doing. It turns yeah. out he's just an abuser and a woman hater, but in his head, he's doing God's work. Right. Because he's he's manipulated that to his own whim yeah. and his nice so, out was always, well, if he didn't like it, he would have stopped me, which yeah, I mean, God would yeah. just smite me down right, right now. Right. Uh, so 
Miss Cooper is doing Bible study later that night, and she kind of realizes that John dips out. And to me, I thought that was very telling because it shows that Mrs. Cooper is astute, and she understands that something about this, you know, about religion has Johnny put off. Like, he's not down with that. And so her look just lets us know that she recognized something was amiss. Yeah, and she's able to pull it back around, though, too, which which is pretty cool. And then at this point, Coop and, Coop and Johnny, uh, they have like some little heart-to-heart where they're trying to get on the same base. She's telling them Bible verses. He's questioning the stories and mixing them up. And at this point, um, Ruby sneaks out to get a little sneaky, sleazy jazz in. <laughs> yeah, Ruby had, I think Ruby had some self-esteem issues. Uh, she was... Earlier, it- while they were in town, she was getting hit on by a couple of little hoods hanging out by the drugstore. And so she decides to go back, but when she gets there, she's instantly courted by Robert Mitch. Yeah. Who's throwing out some serious pedo vibes here, man. Well, I mean, yes and no, because she was, man, she was so, uh, like, she was the, the minute he saw her, she said, will you buy me this? He said, yeah, will you buy me ice cream? Sure. Then they're eating ice cream, and she's saying, am I the prettiest girl you've ever seen? Have you ever seen eyes prettier than mine? So there's a bit of a Lolita thing going on there. You already know Robert yeah, Mitchum well, she- ain't into the chicks, so they, they ain't going to happen, but he's he found the person he could exploit to get what he wanted, and that's what he's all about. Well, how did he know that, that yeah, Ruby that was associated with Miss Cooper? Like, how did he get that information? Yeah, I, dude, I, want, I was trying to remember like, if he rode by the farm or if he saw him in town, but I can't place it if he did. I don't remember any of that, but he I says like, so you live with that lady who has all them kids that need a helping, aren't you? And she's like, yes, sir. He's like, you get two new kids? Yes, sir. What are their names? Johnny and Pearl? Like, Johnny and yeah. Pearl wouldn't even use aliases? Like, come on, Johnny's smarter than that. He should have been like, I'm Donnie and this is Merle. Shit, neither did he. He gives Cooper his whole name and his plan. That's true. I don't even know if Harry Powell's his actual name. Do we ever learn that? Uh, I oh, think he, I, he, he was because they're in court. Yeah. Yeah, they do call him Harry Powell. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, too, my granny's name was Ruby. Cool. Yeah, that's a cool name. And I, I always like wish I had uh, named Hannah Ruby because I thought that'd be, you know, a nice. nice uh, but I just didn't even think about it yeah. when, when we were pregnant. Yeah. So, um, so now at this point, Harry knows where the kids are located. So, um, Ruby is racked with guilt. So she goes again, more guilt associated with this movie, and she confesses to Mama Cooper that you know, hey, I told this creepy old preacher about Johnny and Pearl, and um, she is immediately. You can tell by her face. She's like, hmm. Johnny doesn't like religion, and a preacher's looking for him. Yeah, but she also doesn't. She kind of gives him up at first, a little bit, because because the next day Harry shows up at the farm, and he's spouting his bullshit. But kind of, you know, Miss Cooper's not having it. But he's a master manipulator, right? Yeah. So he's able to manipulate her into believing that maybe he is his father. Because he says, he's my own flesh and blood. I think think it was less manipulation. I think it was more of her um, testing out the situation, trying to to figure out exactly what was going on. Because she does call the kids out, hey, bring the kids, which you'd think, hey, don't do that. He's he's trying to, you know. But we know what she does. Right, exactly. So I think think this was the test for her of like, let's see exactly what's going on here. Let's see how John responds. Let's see how this guy responds. Cause you're right. Harry does say that these are my kids and I've been missing them. And he said their mom took off with a drummer or something. It's like, man, drummers don't get no chicks, bro. That's a guitar player. So she <laughs> wrong. She should have known right away that that was wrong. So um, what do you call a guy who hangs out with musicians? A bass player. No, it's a drummer. A drummer? <laughs> <laughs> I said bass cause you play yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but or, yeah, but right, right. But so, yeah, so you're probably right. She just wanted to see Johnny's I, I reaction. T- I took and, it as she's smarter than that. She's smarter than the scene, and she was she was putting all the pieces together, and she wanted everyone to come there and talk so she could make a decision on what was happening. Right, and as soon as she saw Johnny's reaction, that's when she went and retrieved the shotgun. Uh, basically, you know. Uh, told Harry to beat it, and as he's running away, he'll be, he was like, "I'll be back." At dawn. Well, yeah, I mean, it's worse than that because if you remember, um, the, I think Ruby drops the doll at some point, and and Mitchum jumps for it because that's really all he wants. He wants the damn doll because it's got the money in it. So right. when, uh, when Ruby drops the doll, oh, that's right, they crawl under John, the house. Right, John grabs it and goes it. under the house. So he pulls out his knife, his switchblade, and he's about to go into the house. And Miss Cooper comes out with a shotgun and puts it right on his back and is like, "Nah, dude, that this ain't happening." Um, you got to shake. And then that's when, yeah, he's like, I'm Harry Powell and I'll be back tonight to get them. He gives, he gives the whole speech of exactly what he's going to do. I'll be do. back at approximately 10 30 PM. Yeah. And we're in the same clothes. And he does come back and they sing a song together, which was odd, but you know, well, whatever. It was cool for the movie. I think, uh, did Harry skedaddle away again? Yeah. Harry gets out of there. Uh, he gets out of there, but he does come back. He comes back that night. And he starts, crooning right. at the fence line singing leaning again which you didn't get a cut of that did you um you know i didn't i thought about it but I, i'm a little hesitant for music because i get pinged on on just street music right, right. Which I don't music, you know. so harry start if you look it up on youtube you'll find it it's yeah. a really haunting song that's uh, it's it reminds me of like eddie is talking about religion like people going in to sing their their songs and they're like joyfully we sing yeah. about you lord it's like should they be uplifting and not like dour and droning kind of bummerish? Yeah. Well, the, the scene is cool. He's, I think he's like sitting on a log outside of her house singing, but the cool thing is she's inside on a rocking chair and you could see both of them. You could see him with the shotgun the yeah. in her lap but she, on night watch. Right. But she joins in his singing and you know what I took that as, and I could just be reading into it, what I wanted to read into it is that she wasn't going to allow him to profane the, um, the religious song that they were singing, the hymn or whatever it was, she was she wasn't going to let him have it. She was going to take some of that for herself too, because now you got good and bad both singing the same verse, but with different intentions. And I really like that symbology, um, if that's yes. even what they were going for. But I, that's how I took it. Well, it, then while they had that scrim, so she's in the forefront. He's through the scrim outside singing, and then Ruby walks in with a candle and it washes him out yeah. and he disappears, dude. It's so awesome. now you don't know where he's at. <laughs> What a good effect, though, for then. I mean, it was an amazing yeah. effect. She comes in, and, and by the way, Ruby's still in love with him, even after the you know him pulling a oh, knife on yeah, the other kid. Yeah. She still wants a piece. So, yeah, as soon as is, the the lady's like, "Don't bring that light in here," and she makes her douse the light. And as soon as the light's doused, he's gone from the he's gone from the front yard. So then now it sets up the the big finale, the tension. And oh, then the we get the, like you said, the owl attacking the rabbit, which is the predator attacking the prey. Right, right? symbolism again, and then. Really quickly, Harry pops in, gets popped, and then get pops out. <laughs> so yeah, so the you know what's funny is as soon as she she doesn't see him anymore, she calls all the kids down, which is weird. Like, hey, everybody, come down down here. I don't she know. She saw him running is. towards the barn, right? So they she calls the kids down, and she's got them all lined up standing, and she's doing like a parade march back and forth with the shotgun, like uh, like Elmer Fudd, like in front, back and forth in front of the kids, like she's guarding them. <laughs> I think I shot that preacher. Yeah. Well, then he comes, well, he comes back in and I think the cat scares him, right? Is what happens. Like he's hiding in the house. I think that's what happened. The cat comes off no, the No, he, he gets shot and he runs out and he's just wailing like. <laughs> no, but this is before he gets shot. Before he, the reason he got shot was he was hiding in the house and the cat scares him. He jumps up and she shoots him. That's how, right. that's how the shooting happens. <laughs> Which it was an odd, that was almost, speaking of Looney Tunes, his reaction to getting shot was not what I expected in this movie. 
<laughs> it was like uh it was like the uh Christopher Lloyd character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like when Goofy got got his got his butt on fire from De- you know Donald Duck or something, but I did take a cut of it because it was he funny. falls off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, the the um Wilhelm scream or something. But yeah, so you know, basically what I just said. She shoots he comes in the house, she shoots him, and he runs to the barn, and while he's running, this is what you're treated to. I want them kids. What do you want them for? That's none of your business, madam. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here. Then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting. (laughs) 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 Why, dude? That didn't match the movie. Why? Not at all, dude. He's like running a zigzag pattern like he's like when Bo- like when boss hog had his pants on fire from roscoe <laughs> and he's like running around the boar's nest it was that dude oh it was good oh. that was great i watched that watch that american movie and mark borchad is doing like a uh some foley work with all of his actors and like they're just in front of a microphone in his living room and they're screaming okay you're burning in hell and they're just like <laughs> it's so hilarious to burn watch. harder you're not burning <laughs> It's great because he's telling these parents, you know, these actors, like, okay, you're burning hell. He's recording in his living room, and it, the documentary film director shows his kitchen, and his parents are sitting at the kitchen table, just like in misery, trying to trying to enjoy a cup 30, of coffee. <laughs> their thirty year old son who's making this movie for the last ten years. Uh, they're rolling their eyes and shaking their head and trying uh, to eat a piece of so pie. Old. They're uh, just like, kill good. me now. That's good. He could have got so, a job yeah. at the post office. <laughs> If you haven't seen that movie too, man, I totally recommend that. Not to check so that. Um, so she calls the police, uh, then guards the kids all night. Um, she has her morning talk with John. And I thought she had a poignant little quote here, and I'd like to read it if that's okay. Please. Because to me, it meant a couple of little different things. Um, she says, John, do you know when you're little, you have more endurance than God is ever going to grant you again? Children are man at his strongest. They abide. Yep. And so... It was very poignant because on so many different levels, you start to think like, I've wasted my youth, you know what I'm saying? For somebody like me, like, yeah. I'll know I'll never have that pith and vigor anymore. Uh, also, she's trying to tell him that even though you're a child and you're small, you're very strong, you're, you're very resilient. resilient and you'll be able yeah. to, yeah, you'll be able to make it through anything. And I think she kind of wants John to step up because he's the man of this house, believe it or not, even though he's as young as he is. But she wants him to be a man of God and a man um, who is able to provide for his family and take care of his sister and take care of his family. So he's got to use that endurance and that strength to do, to do so. You're right. And I think she was also trying to trying to um, let him know that because um, he was so scared of the scripture from the bad preacher or whatever. She was trying to say, like, no, this can be good, not bad. This, he was showing you the bad way. This is this is the right way to be. Um, and, and I... I, so yeah, like you said in the very beginning of the show, is the point of the movie is kids can take a lot of punishment. Uh, maybe uh, that's I had that in my well, notes too. But I think what he was saying is, kids in that era were taking a lot of punishment. Maybe he, yeah. that's a product of his environment. Maybe he grew up during that time and he had a lot of punishment that he endured. Right. And now he's doing this, so he survived. You know. And on on a personal level, um, you know, I, I thought about that a lot too. What you just said on a personal level, I think that that is true. Like because. Uh, if you think of the death of a, of a pet or even a loved one at a young age versus losing somebody at an older age, it is harder for me to get over it. It, it does hit me harder and I think about it more and I'm not able to go about my life and uh, as quick as a manner as a child would be able to. So I think there's definitely something to that. Kids are able to adapt and overcome and, uh, and endure. Uh, I think the older you get, the harder it is. I, I agree with what she was saying. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was a poignant quote. Sorry I, I read too. it so terribly, but um now the next scene the cops show up and they pull Harry out of the barn. Um was John tapping his chest because he wanted him to die? Because I, I was a little No. Uh, okay, I had trouble with this scene too. So the I, I think I figured out what it is. The first time I didn't understand because because when the cops Harry comes out of the barn, he's shot. The cops get him on the ground and arrest him, right? And well, John, first he's got a knife, so they're like, "I'll have him at gunpoint." They're right. like, "We'll kill you." And one guy goes up and like jujitsu's him to the ground and takes his knife right. out of his hand, and that's when like John visibly grimaces, like, "Oh!" And I didn't know if it was because they didn't shoot no. him. And- so no, here's what I take on that. Um, it's a weird scene because as they're taking him down to the ground to arrest him. John starts yelling, no, don't do it, don't do it. And he runs over and gives the doll and starts throwing the money and said, take the money, take the money, right? So you're like, well, why isn't he elated, right? Why isn't, it didn't make sense to me on the first watch. It did on the second. I think that what happened was he's seeing exactly what happened to his dad. It's the exact same thing with the dad and the gun. The cops are like, put your hands in the air. They wrestle him down in the exact same way. He's seeing his dad in that situation from the beginning of the movie. And he's trying to tell his dad, I don't want this burden. This has led to nothing but bad. I don't want to hide this money. I don't want this money. Take it back. I think that the problem was him, him having a mental image of his father and going through the exact same thing um, is what did it. Is could what I, made could him I extrapolate it. on that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe because he didn't know his mother was dead at this point. Right. That's true, because they do she, say you're arrest for the murder of Willa. You're under arrest for the murder of Willa Harper. Right, so right. at that moment, he realizes... He's an orphan, he's distraught, and maybe he thinks if he just gives the money back, it'll bring his mama back. Possible, too. Yeah, possible. But if you look the way they arrested him and took him down, it was the exact same way they took his dad down in the beginning. So it could be a little bit all of that. Yeah, but it, it was it was weird. It was a bit of a weird scene. I think that that was a little deeper. It, you had to really look into that one to figure out what was going on, because the first time, like, why the hell is he giving him the money now? She just gave it to him a long yeah. time ago, you know? But I, I think it was actually him trying to give it to his dad, saying... I don't want this. His, this is horrible. Like this, this did not help in any way in my life. Um, and it, he, that's what he wished he would have done the first time. I think is what it was. Just give it up and avoid his mom yeah. would still be here. Right. Like every nothing, none of this would ever happen. Right. That's my take. Yeah. So it cuts quickly to the trial. By the Johnny's way, the, mo- the, the movie stand. should have ended there by the way. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. You think so? I do. I didn't like the very last uh, part of this movie. Uh, other than the speech I, she gives, I didn't like the part of the end. I, I, I like the uh, wrap-up at the end at, at Miss Cooper's house, so we'll get into that. Okay. Um, that's me. That's the part I'm talking about, too, that, that part I liked. Okay. okay. Uh, I thought it was strange that they asked Johnny to identify the person that killed his mom, seeing as though he didn't witness that crime, so he doesn't wow. know who killed his mom. <laughs> I thought that was weird, too. Also weird to ask uh, what Santa's bringing him for Christmas when he's on the stand testifying against... Uh, you know, the dude that Correct. killed his parents. Yeah. yeah. But um, why doesn't Johnny identify him? You know what? That that was weird. But have you noticed throughout the movie, he had he wouldn't look at him a lot? Like, that was, they're always telling him, like, stop being impudent. Imp, impu, imp, impotent. Stop impotent. being impotent. Yeah. Stop being, stop being impotent around impotent. Uh, Harry Cooper. <laughs> right, right. No, but um, that's the way, that was his coping mechanism. Even when he was, uh, when he came to uh, confront Miss Cooper the first time, uh, he, w- he wouldn't look at him. He would constantly look away. Uh, he wouldn't acknowledge him, and that's what they're always saying. John, why are you acting like that? So I think that would stay, that was a good statement character for him. Of he didn't like he just that person doesn't exist to him at could, all. Anymore. He had such a hard time, I think, with the guy that he couldn't he couldn't acknowledge him. 
But dude, Icy riling up that crowd. That is typical Icy, I tell you that. Oh my god. And Icy did this the quick flip just like the mom. Icy was like, kill this bastard. I hate this guy. I knew from the beginning he was no good. <laughs> the same chick that set up the whole damn thing hates him. She's and... just like, look over there. Don't look at me. Look over there. She grabbed an axe, bro. She came in with an axe. Dude, she fired up a riot. They were destroying the whole town. <laughs> they were breaking windows and chairs. So sorry, man. So the kid he he ends up being found guilty. Um, for murder and Miss Cooper's ushering the kids out to go back home and the town is just in an uproar because of Icy and they're going to lynch him so now it's a lynching which in the beginning I was thinking man are they trying to find the kids or what the hell's going on here because it was a little disjointed um, but but Icy but got I knew the they were out. looking because of the way Icy I mean everybody had axes and yeah. ropes and pickaxes yeah you're not going to kill the kids like so. from the Simpsons or Frankenstein so yeah um, but even while the Miss Cooper and the kids are trying to escape Ruby professes her love for Harry yeah. again. Ruby, oh my god, dude! Ruby. And they're actual crazy, crazy ladies like that idiot. There are people there are. in this world that do this shit, dude. There are. Like I know uh, Dennis Rader is probably the ugliest human being on the face of the planet, but I love him yeah. so much. Yeah. I'm gonna get married what? to a to a serial killer while he's in jail. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Me and Richard Ramirez are like peanut butter and jelly. Oh man. Uh, so anyway. Um, I really think you could and have then, left this part of the movie out. I thought it was jumbled, and I don't think it added much to the film. No, they could have just talked about it yes. during the Christmas scene That's because what I it immediately goes from that like that haunting, you know, dour, uh, the night of the hunter theme, and it they Walter Schumann was able to change it to almost a jingly Christmas jolly type song. Yeah, it's the same notes. It's just he rearranged it to make it seem more uplifting. So it's Christmas morn at the Cooper farm, right? And uh, again, what's kind of cool is the fact that he's able to change that theme to to create a different feeling. And if you notice, a lot of scores these days are just noise. Oh yeah, background noise for sure. Uh, it's like to fill blanks, of, to fill gaps. Yeah, a lot of Christopher um, Nolan's movies, just like random noises in the background. Yeah. No, but the, the I mean, music in here really added to the feel. It, it added to the it just like Star Wars. It added to the whole to the whole. It, it it swayed an emotion on a scene, which added to the movie quite a bit. Because you can manipulate people with music, and they understood that. So yeah. they're, they're telling you how to feel. And they don't have a laugh track or you know anything like that or a clap sign. It's like they're telling you how to feel through the music and the composition of it. But. Um, everybody gets presents. I think Miss Cooper gets a pot holder. Uh, Johnny goes outside and steals an apple and gives her her own apple, which was a call back to earlier when they were having their come to Jesus talk. That was right? their, that was their uh, connection moment is uh, she let him have an apple. She shared an apple with him and and spoke about um, scripture, which actually turned his opinion on on hearing it because remember, he didn't want to hear it in the beginning. So that was kind of their right. connection moment. And they, they wrapped it back around with an apple at the end. So he gives her an apple again, and she instantly recognizes what he's trying to say without words. Um, and then just imagine uh, if you tried to pull off a 1955 Christmas with your kids today. Like, uh, here you go, Hannah. Here's your one brooch. And it's such a good present that they cry. Cry and run around the room with their like a chicken with their head cut off. Like <laughs> Johnny, got a, Johnny got a watch, and it was like he got the... Uh, PlayStation Five with two controllers uh, in a game. Ru- Ruby ran out of that ran out of that room like Kermit the Frog when he puts his arms in the air and like yeah, <laughs> like runs out of the room. Imagine uh, like great. Christmas nineteen fifty five with your kid. Like take your kids and bring them back to Christmas nineteen fifty five and be like, here's your uh, here's your shovel, brand new uh, shovel. Or thirties actually. Love it. Back to the thirties, not even the fifties, because this was. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 
Yes. It wouldn't go over as well, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, And then Miss Coop gives her little cool Save the Little Children speech. Yeah. And uh, they abide and they adhere as the music swells and we get the end credits. Yeah. What a great film. It was really good, man. And I I didn't expect some of the darker overtones it had just based on the year because I hadn't seen this before. So I'm thinking 1955, you're not going to get some, but you you did. You get some real good storytelling, some real good character development, excellent cinematography, like top-notch cinematography. I don't think I've ever seen it. cinematography. It was great. Um, And and music. The music was outstanding. I had a note about that too, about um, the cinematographer who made this film. Hang on, let me pull this note up. Uh, His name was Stanley Cortez, and he said his two favorite shoots were this movie and uh, he did one called The Magnificent Ambersons with Orson Welles. So Charles Lawton was in great company. That's really there, cool, man. With that really compliment. Really you good. Know? Yeah. So. Is that all you had? That's all I had, pal. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Well, let's hear some of your good news then. Uh, the good news is, and this is, it really isn't good news, but a, a hope and a prayer. This film better be preserved in the Smithsonian, man. Yeah. It's great, man. It should be preserved. Like, you know, keep this film in a climate-controlled vault somewhere. Airtight box. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's really cool, man. Um, and this is a your, your recommend, so I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, you My good news was I, 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 there was a lot to like in this movie. I just had to pick one. And I think one of my favorite things was I liked uh, Mitchum's delivery throughout the film. It was almost like he was constantly preaching, even when he was just having a conversation. And it did remind me of Old Brother Arthur and, and the, the snappy way they talked. And I really liked his delivery and, and the way he, um, his, his voice is perfect for it. Uh, and, and the writing was really outstanding. So his whole, Mitchum made the movie for me. The dude was awesome. And I don't know if you caught that diabolical shit in my intro, but that came from the fact that um, while he was um, auditioning for the role, he overheard Charles Lawton say that this character is a diabolical shit. And when he said that, Robert Mitchum said, present. Oh, that's good. And so he really fought to get this role. So he wanted to put everything he had into it. So no, it worked. He did good. Yeah. Give me some bad news. Um, basically that this film didn't get the credit it deserved upon its release. Um, and fun fact about this movie too, Lawton, when he made this movie, gave key creatives who helped him create it um, 1% of the gross, which is unheard of at the time, and the studio didn't want to agree to it either. Oh, so he was already creating fa- fantastic art and sharing his proceeds with the other people who were helping him make this art, which is kind of cool. It is cool. But it, it it was his only movie he ever made. It didn't get a good um, reception upon its release, and he never made another one, which is sad. I, I didn't know that. I assumed that this was kind of a – by the way, my dad spoke about it. I thought that this was kind of a hit, so that's, that's interesting. So I guess it's yeah, more it of a cult a classic. Yeah. yeah, it became a hit later. Interesting. All right, for me, I touched on it earlier, but I really had trouble understanding the mom's character direction – um, I don't think it expanded well enough, and I don't think they gave me enough to believe that she would abandon her kids that quickly or or have a change of heart that quickly based on it. They he didn't work. He I didn't. I wanted to see the brainwashing of the mom more. I wanted to see the indoctrination of her. Um, that would have made more sense. There was to no me. there was no social media at the time that maybe religion was so prevalent that it was that quick to convert people. Possible, it's possible. But me watching it now, I, it was just like, oh, okay, so now right. she, you know, it, it didn't, it, it didn't work as well for me as the rest of the movie. So that, I think I just kind of chalked that up to a product of its time. But you know, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, give me a schlock star rating. Eight out of eight um, haphazardly tattooed letters on knuckles. Uh, eight, eight, e, uh, yeah, correct numbers. Good job. 
Thank you. Your math Thank is you. on point. Yep. I uh, just, dude, I used to have a t-shirt. I think before I even saw the movie, I had a, uh, a t-shirt that had that Robert Mitchum on the gate with his love and hate across his knuckles oh, really cool. sitting there. And I love that shirt. And I think that's what I got to figure out what this movie is. And then I read some articles about the movie and then I found it and that's how I stumbled upon really it. Really cool. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, Mine was I got one whole town full of rubes because that whole town was taken in by the snake oil salesman. Nobody sure could were. see through it. A bunch of rubes. I guess that's why it was such a danger back in the day. People rolling into town with, you know, fast talking. Yeah, who's that stranger? Stranger Taking danger. money from people's pockets who needed it for other things, but they thought that, you know, this person or thing was going to change your life for the better. Yep. 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 All right. Let's do this. Uh, uh, uh. Schlockernaut protocol requires a quiz off. May the best human moron win. All right, Doc, my man, what you got? All right, let me give you some options. Okay. Uh, you got to pick one out of these options. You can't uh, opt out, okay? Okay. If you were going to get knuckle tattoos, what would they say? Okay. All right. First set, pork butt. Okay. Uh, second one, fuck you with the letter U and three exclamation marks. Okay. Uh, next one, Ida, Dick. Okay. And the last one, Fart Barf. I mean, they're all spectacular, but I think I might go with Pork Butt on that because it's so <laughs> random. There's, there's, Is there a right or wrong on this? I guarantee you there's some fucking barbecue guy in Texas or North Carolina has got Pork yeah, Butt. Yeah, I think you might be right. <laughs> I knew a guy that had the fuck you across the knuckles, so that I've seen. But was it fuck you, the letter U with three exclamation marks? Uh, it was F-U-C-K on one hand, and the other was Y-O-U, and then the pinky had an exclamation mark, one exclamation oh, okay. mark. okay, so. yeah. Did that Still guy work. gainfully employed? Uh, what did he do? I can't remember what he did, but uh, he was employed, but it, he did not work as an executive at a casino. I can tell you that for sure. Okay, because I see all those like stupid Yahoo stories where, you know, lady can't get a job because her face is 95% tattooed, and it's like, hmm. I wonder why. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give me your second one. Oh, wait. No, it's my turn. Oh, you got to do your first one. All right. Uh, where am I at? Did every female in this movie besides Cooper make bad decisions? Willa, yes. Pearl, Icy. Yes. Give me give me one. Yes. Just give me one besides Cooper. No, that's it. You're right. Okay. Just making sure. Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think uh, Icy did a good job riling up the crowd to kill that guy when she realized her mistake. Uh, I think Icy could have been swayed anyway, no matter what. You know, I, I don't think it was still a good decision. It was just a decision if, for Icy. If he had been found not guilty, she would have invited him I back. I told you. I knew he split. was not guilty. Yeah, I think Icy was going to go with the go with the Whichever bad the way the wind blows. Yeah. All right. All right. Give me number two. All right. Do you think Willa made it to heaven? I don't think Willa was a bad person. I think she made bad decisions. I'll say yes. She made it. Even though she sacrificed her children and put her put them in that terrible situation. She gave up on her kids and left them to die, basically. She sure did. <sighs> she's in limbo because no one knows what to do with Willa. So she's stuck okay. right in the middle. Or purgatory? Okay. Purgatory in the middle? Purgatory. Purgatory. Yeah. There we go. All right. She's in purgatory. Uh, we'll wait for Icy to get there. They can both go somewhere together. They're bad decisions. Okay. Perfect. Right. Uh, did John and Pearl trade in one abusive caretaker for a slightly less abusive caretaker? Slightly. I think, I think, I think she wasn't, she was abusive at start because you've got to, you know, you've got to train the, you to break the, the horse. animal. <laughs> you got to break that horse because they've been out on their own. So they've got no discipline. They're, um, scurrilous. They, um, 
what's the word that he would use? Churlish? Churlish? Insubordinate. (laughs) Well, if you think back to the movie, he never beat the kids and she did. And as far as I know, if he just gave him the damn doll, maybe he'd have left him alone and left town. So who was more? He didn't didn't beat the kids, but he threatened to rip their arms out. He uh, threatened to slice their throats. He did all sorts of other terrible things. But she did beat him. She yeah, made good I mean, on, rather, she made listen, good on the I promise. I would rather get hit with a switch a couple of times because I'm being undisciplined than have some guy threaten to uh, cut my right. throat because I won't tell him where my daddy's money you're is. You're right. I think a kid should just gave him the damn doll and tried to shake him. Maybe he would have just left. Maybe. You never know. I guess you, when you call the police, it takes him a full 18 hours to arrive because she called him in the evening and they didn't show up till the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was in the barn the entire night just uh, dying. Crazy. All right. Give me a third. All right. Uh, do you want to hear a little Johnny joke? Yeah, go for it. Are you familiar with Little Johnny jokes? Yeah, I remember reading the books and one of the things. Yeah, I figured it was funny because Little Johnny. Uh, Teacher, Johnny, can you use a sentence with definitely in it? Little Johnny, do farts have lumps in them? Teacher, of course not, Johnny. Little Johnny, then I've definitely shat myself. (laughs) Okay, that's good. It's almost a doc joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's close. I found the crudest one. Uh, That's good. All right. Uh, right. Little Johnny, save the day. Good job. Um... Yeah, this isn't really a question. I just I'd, I'd like I would like your opinion. I found the end of the movie a tiny bit anticlimactic. Um, did you like like the shooting of him and him just going to the barn and getting arrested was not what I thought the struggle at the end was going to be. I thought it was quick and abrupt and almost too okay, easy. Okay, so if that movie had been made in twenty twenty three with a woman in the house with a shotgun, there would have been a full on like. Uh, backstory of how she's been training Tybo for the right. last 10 years to stay in shape, <laughs> yeah. right? And her dad um, was a she, Navy SEAL. She, she was. She almost got raped once, so she's been doing extensive firearms right. training, like Lori Strode's and Halloween. And there would have been this whole, like, you thought, you know, Johnny's situation in the basement was home alone. She would have had traps all over the right. house. She would have karate chopped him. I just think, like, you come into somebody's house unwanted and you get shot with a shotgun, you're immediately going to leave. And that's the easiest solution to the problem. It's easy, but after all the tension of him chasing the kids, I thought there would be a little bit more of a of a build up towards like when maybe he the actually kids in peril. He's got a knife to yes, their throat or yes, something. That's and... that's what I expected. I expected more than just that clip that I played you of him screaming and then the cops showing up because that is the yeah. the climax. I found that a tiny bit anticlimactic, and I was curious so how you felt. You want a little bit more comeuppance for your villains? I did. I did. I wanted him to, you know, maybe even get hurt a little more or you know something other would than have that. Gone too far to show him hanging from the gallows. Would have been a dark ending. I mean, they showed the ma, the will. Uh, you know, that would have been pretty cool. Actually, maybe maybe not showing him, but how about a silhouette? Another nice lit. Another. Like you could have had the Christmas fade out and then fade into just him on the gallows by this? himself, just how about rocking this? back and forth. I got one. How about an ornament hanging on the tree, fading out to him hanging a silhouette of him hanging against the wall. What do you think? Love it. Yeah, not Love bad, it. right? Yep. Okay. Love it. All right. Uh, did you do? Um, I'm guessing you didn't do a payday on this one, right? Uh, I did a tagline time. Okay, let's do that. All right. Towering above all others, a motion picture that will not be easily matched or forgotten. That's good. I'm going to say that's a real one. Yep. Number two, the hands of Robert Mitchum in The Night of the Hunter. The hands of Robert Mitchum? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's a real one. I'll say real. Deception, a scheme, murder, all in The Night of the Hunter. That's good, too. I'll say real. I wrote that one. That's Thank a good you. one. You did good, man. Good again. job. Yeah, good job. I win. I win. Good job. I was waiting for a dick joke in there. I did. Then I knew it was yours for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to have a little bit more reverence for good this. Good job, man. We, we elevated for this show. We went up. Sure. Not we down. sure did. Um, speaking of elevating, I got a little surprise for you right here, buddy. Ready? Yep. 
I made you I a bumper. I made you a bumper. <laughs> I love it. Slacker not bump. So I uh, probably should have had that since show number one, uh, because that's we the whole point of our that show. At the start right. <laughs> should we? We should probably. We should either do it at the start of the segment or the very end of the segment, because we do it right in the middle, and then we do flick picks, and then we do thanks. Right, and, right, right. So like, maybe we, we need should to do bump it right that at the around. top. So we no, the top because we got to get through the movie to figure out if it's schlock or not. So maybe the end should be that. That'd be that very would be end. The, very the final end, and verdict. Then we fade out. Okay. Right off into the sunset. Yeah. Uh, special thanks to Danny. He helped me um, create that. So thank you, Danny. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, but yeah, we should have had a bumper from that from the like the beginning. I, I just never had the right bumper. So. It is the name of the show. It's kind of the point. Yeah. I think we could have named the show Did You Notice? Because I notice we say that a lot. Dave, Doc, did, did you, you notice, notice in that scene? Did you notice that Wow yeah. got jerked right yeah. off his... So I guess this one's... um. Goes without saying, right? I'm, I'm guessing not on this. Can we agree on that? By any stretch of the imagination, dude. Yeah, right. Not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it uh, not for, at all. for a sixty over 60-year-old movie, this thing held up surprisingly well. Really good. Oh, yeah, dude. Very entertaining. I wasn't bored at all. Yeah. Like, my father-in-law came and, oh, I love that movie. Like, everybody I know sees it. It's just, you know, they like it. Yeah, really cool. Um, Bubba, yeah. you got a flick pick for me? I do. And I, I posted something about it on Twitter, but I think it's funny. Like everybody thinks this like whole theme of of uh, Sound of Freedom, where the guy goes and rescues human trafficking victims, and it was already done years ago by um, Nicolas Cage and Eight Millimeter. Same thing. No, no, no kidding. Yeah, you never seen that movie? I have Eight Millimeter. I haven't seen the that one you just mentioned though. Sound of Freedom is like a, a true story about a guy who goes and rescues a bunch of kids. From oh, is that the like stuff. Jim Caviezel did it? Jim Caviezel. Okay. Com- yeah. I actually saw him at a gymnastics competition one time. Anyway, um, it's directed by Joel Schumacher. He gets a lot of shit, right? Joel Schumacher gets a lot of shit for the Batman movies. But he did Falling Down, Flatliners, St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys. So you can give him shit all you want for Batman nipples, but, I mean, he's made some bangers. Yeah. And uh, so basically, Nicolas Cage gets hired by this rich heiress because when her husband died, she found a videotape that has a young girl being slaughtered like a snuff, snuff film. So Nicolas Cage has to figure out whether it's uh, a real film or not. So it kind of goes off the edges of society, fringes of society while he investigates, and it's really cool. Yeah, I've, I've seen it, and he does a pretty good job in that. You know, I'm hit and miss with Nick Cage, but I did enjoy him in that. At the same time, he did Face Off, too, right? I don't want to talk about Face Off, man. And I'll tell you what, if we ever do Face Off, I'm going to make my wife do the trailer, just like I made my dad do the trailer for this one. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. I didn't have a chance to watch anything last couple weeks, uh, but I, I did want a, a special mention. Um, Futurama has a new season. It's been like 10 years since they had a season. And that's been a family favorite of ours since my first son was born. We always like background. We can always throw in Futurama as like background noise when we're doing stuff. Um, and they have a new season out. I haven't even seen it yet. I'm assuming it's going to be great, just like all the rest. Dude, it's the same Futurama people. is like a zombie that is not able to be shot in the head. Cannot it kill just, that. You cannot. It kill shows that up show. on 18 different stations. Yep. Like Matt Groening, man, good, good on him. Good for, for him. Able to get contracts for different stations to play his show, yep. man. So just PSA. I haven't seen it, but I, I, I'm sure I will. And there is a new season out for anyone that didn't know. Okie dokie. All right, you got anything else? Or are we wrapping this baby up? Let's wrap it up. Schlock or not, schlock or not, is 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 or not
schlock or not schlock or not is it schlock not not schlock or not not schlock not schlock schlock or not schlock or not is it schlock not not schlock or not not schlock not schlock 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 or not schlock or not is or not is schlock or not schlock or not is or not is schlock or not schlock or not is or not is Hey, King Slays the Voice here, Patreon supporter for Schlockernaut, numeral uno. That's right. I was the first one to dip into the pool and support these cats. And the reason why I support them is not because they're friends of mine, but because I got value out of this show. And if you get value out of the show, you can support for as little as $1 a month. And it's real easy. All you need to do is follow the link at steve52.com.